Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, 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 yeah. It's about to get creepy and French-Canadian in here. That's what I'm talking about. It is Friday, July 2nd, a holiday weekend. Ain't got shit to do. You might as well watch Morning Combat, the preeminent combat sports talk show and quasi-sitcom in the world today. Made for America, by America, but globally renowned. My name is Brian Campbell. Your co-hostess with the most is CBS Sports and Showtime are the labels that pay me. But you don't come here for me, right? You know, I'm just a, a glaze on your donut hole. The man who fills that hole is the most prominent respected, non-fighting, fighting analyst that we have today. He refuses to dye his hair. His name is Luke Thomas. I really just dislike your intros where you're, it sounds like you're looking at over, over a collection of your favorite Perv City videos. <clears throat> well, Luke, it's great to hear from you too. I want you to know, Luke, that it's Friday, uh, orange background, there's two things that happen when BC's on the controls, Luke. One, it's very efficient. We get in and out of here in, you know, 90 minutes or less. And number two, um, you know, we have a lot of fun. There are some P1 listeners who from, from day one have been like, you know, maybe BC should have been the host. Well, look, Fridays are for you. Loaded show, not just setting the stage for what is not a loaded weekend, although Showtime Championship Boxing is back Saturday night. We'll get into that. But we'll look at the latest headlines, tons of MMA news to get to, and <coughs> we may die as well. We will also review the homework assignment given to you by Professor Luke Thomas, the 2018 Martial Arts Indonesian Gore Fest thriller, <laughs> The Night Comes for Us, and after watching that, I'm sure therapy will also be coming <laughs> for all of us. Very I was watching... I was watching some of the scenes last night just to be, you know, just to refresh my memory. And I'm like, oh, BC's going to have a hard time with this yeah, one. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get into that at the end of the show. No wonder why Luke's loves abortion rock and all things that are uh, questionable in the moral code. Um, Luke, we also have uh, new merch, and it's morningcombat.store, the site you want to get to right now. Merch 2.0 season is upon us international shipping yes if you are Graham manning in ireland you can wear our stuff if you are uh look look what is going on at your house i mean you know, it always... dude, i don't know how dude i can tell these i try i try to be like hey at 11 o'clock on monday wednesday friday i need a library atmosphere you ever seen those people on the train i mean you don't take the train obviously nearly as much as i do bc but you yeah. are aware that like on the train, there's the front of the train, there's a place in the middle that's like the cafe car where you can go and get like drinks and snacks and you know beer if that's your thing. And then there's the quiet car. The quiet cars can be a lot of different places, but it's the car where you can't have phone calls. You could text or whatever, but you can't, you know, if you're gonna listen to music, it's gotta be headphones and a whole nother. Oh, and yards. they enforce that shit, Luke. They enforce the shit out of that shit, the yeah. quiet car. So when they enforce it, it's great, but there are people that just don't realize what the quiet car is and they'll sit there and then they'll, you know, they'll be completely uh oblivious to the reality that's my life that is yeah that's the way i that's 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 the real i'm in the quiet car that no one's treating like a quiet car yeah it's like my parents they're like you know it's perfectly fine to have the ringer on on my cell phone and the volume turned up to 1000 and to <laughs> interrupt 
anything, including meals or public gatherings, just to pick up a phone call. Yeah, it's Dude, great, why, let know? me ask you, why is it that parents don't ever put their phone on vibrate? Like their well, ringer like, has to be, it has to be like, if you've ever been to an Islamic country and you hear the people calling to prayer from the minarets and it like just, just showers everything in, in their, uh, in their voice, that's what their, that's what their phones are like. It has to be the loudest fucking ring imaginable. And my mom would be like, Hey, uh, you, you know, I, I can't really talk. I'm having surgery right now, but, uh, is everything okay? It's like, send that crap to voicemail. Like, that's why that option is there. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Anyway, we love our, our parents, Luke. Um, do they love us back, though? That's a question for your therapist couch one day. Finally, I don't <laughs> want to do a really long intro, Luke, um, but I did want the support of our people. I did want a like on this video, and I did want a subscription. Um, I got a question to ask you, you freeloaders. What type of games are being played? How's it going down? Is you with us or what? You think I'm trying to give you a nut just because honeys want to give me the butt butt? I have no idea what that means, but what I do know is that uh, if you love us and you spend time with us three days a week, it's really not much of a commitment to hit subscribe. The, the, the ride to 100K, the goal, we're getting there. We're close, okay? You want BC to get tatted up one day, keep hitting that subscribe button. Follow us on the social channels below. And Luke, even though we were told not to give the explicit details yet because things are being finalized, next week is UFC 264. You, myself, the great Rashad Evans, many of our CBS Sports, Showtime, and Malka Brethren will be on the ground in Las Vegas for all things Connor Poiwei 3. And Luke, I won't say the location. Please send me location. But you and I will be doing live. Not just live, meaning it's happening now. But a live potential studio audience. Morning Combat, Wednesday, Friday, Probably some fun bonus stuff on Thursday. I mean, how freaking excited are you to go full mast to find out, right? To find out what we're made of. I'm pretty fucking excited. If you are in Las Vegas, hear me now, hear me clearly. If you are going to be in Las Vegas, or you're in Las Vegas now, but you're going to be there next week, next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe even Saturday to an extent. We'll have to see how that goes. But certainly for during the weekdays, come hang out with us. We don't have... We cannot formally announce the official times that are going to be there yet because we're still working out some of that stuff. There will be some adjustments. The folks should know there probably is going to be some adjustments to the normal MK programming schedule. I will say that. Um, so, you know, be a little bit on your toes. But if you're in Vegas, we'll let you know where and when. Come hang out with us. We want to see you. We want to interact with you. Be a part of the show. Yeah, what Luke's really saying is he's hoping to penetrate in some form, every single one of our viewers. And this is the first time we can do that in person because COVID is almost over, kind of over. Delta variant notwithstanding. Uh, Luke, also to close here, uh, bonus content is youtube.com slash morning combat. What do you get? You get Luke's live chat, which there's nothing like it in the game today, every Thursday. I got an interview with Kayla Harrison this week, looking ahead to the PFL playoffs, checking in on her motherhood journey. I know Luke talked to her ahead of the PFL season but I hopefully extended some of those topics and, and got a really fun interview with her. So I, I gave, I, I tipped the cap to her for that regard for playing ball. Um, good stuff. Check that out. And uh, that's what I got for you, Luke. You ready to get into this? Let's get into this. Let's rock brother. All right. Our five topics or so for Friday here, as we set the stage for the weekend, GSP is back in the headlines. Luke, he gave an interview to sports illustrated in which, yes, he addressed the fallout of not getting the Oscar de la Hoya fight 
He had some specific quotes, but the biggest headline is that GSP says, I am free of my UFC contract in two more years. So Luke, I'm going to read you the quote and get your reaction. Trust me, if this fight would have happened, meaning boxing Oscar De La Hoya, I would have moved to Los Angeles with Freddie Roach's gym and made a full training camp, leaving no stone unturned. Unfortunately, Dana didn't want it. It is what it is. I can't be mad at him. People have said to take Dana to court, but that makes me look like a bad guy, and I don't want to spend money on lawyers and all that. My UFC contract will finish in almost two years, and I will be free, and I will still be in great shape. I'm still a fighter and still an entertainer. If there's an exhibition fight or a novelty fight for charity, then never say never, end quote. Luke, he's a gentleman at every turn. Is this the right call, though, to just say, yeah, I'll see you in two years? I, first of all, I completely disagree that he would look like the bad guy. I think if anything, he would not look like the bad guy. Although, obviously, if he went to court, perhaps there would be some kind of PR battle that might make him look a little bit bad. But I, I tend to think he is, that's not really the reason. Maybe he doesn't want to spend money on lawyers. Fine, don't spend money on the lawyers. I get it. But I got to say, BC, here's my first thought when he said this. I, I hope in two years, he doesn't have the opportunity to do it. Like, I hope in two years this kind of thing has flamed out a little bit, or at least is not nearly what it is today, because it's like, dude, I got to tell you, what, what would he be at that point? 42, 43? 42, maybe? Luke. 42 he would be. 42. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be 42 in a month. You know, certainly I'm not even a, you know, 1% of the athlete that St. Pierre is, but I got to tell you, dude, my first thought on this whole thing is it's just get every new version of it makes me increasingly bored with it. I was bored with it from the beginning and waiting two more years for another version. I guess we'll have to see where the market is, BC, but I'll pitch it back to you on this one. Aren't you like me and thinking that in two years, at a bare minimum, the market for this will not look the way that it looks today? That's a key part of it. I mean, you know, I just wrote, for example, at CBSSports.com. You can check the story out. Looking ahead to the second half of boxing in 2021, what are the biggest storylines? What are the biggest questions we need answering? Luke, a big part of that was what you and I talk about a lot in the show, to the, uh, <laughs> to the love of our listeners, this celebrity crossover boxing bubble, right? I mean, yeah, they it, love that. It, History says it's going to burst, and, you know, it may already be on the way there, although, look, we're going to have certainly some interest in Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, more on that to come, and I think, should Tyson fight again? You're going to have De La Hoya in, in Belfort. I don't think it's going to last another full year, Luke. I really don't. I don't think next summer we're still going to be having conversations of, like, who's the best opponent for Logan Paul next? I really feel like it's going to be big, quick, spectacular, and then burst. So if you're GSP, you know, I mean, who knows what will be around in two years? Uh, did this open a new, a new, uh, you know, avenue for the retired athlete to come back and do the exhibition? I, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I feel like unless somebody can organize that and consistently make it exciting and and worth my, you know, it's one of those things where it comes on the horizon. You're like, yeah, I'd check that out, and then you check it out, and then you know what it is, and you move on. But I did want to circle back, Luke to the, the, I think is the most interesting point here. We, we have debated this in the past few months, but like there's some things that I just don't understand and people give me crap for because you're supposed to be the expert. You just, you don't understand this. I just don't understand Luke, how somebody could be retired and still under contract and be denied from fighting in another sport. What am I missing here? Am I missing specific language in GSP's deal that allows Dana to, to have the final say on anything combative? Is that where, where yes. it's at, Luke? 
Yeah, so the, the, re the way that Conor McGregor was able to ultimately get the UFC's blessing, in part because they knew they were going to make a fuck ton of money uh, by virtue of Conor's participation in all of that, was that there's a provision in every single Zufa contract, certainly every single one I've ever seen. I've probably seen about 20 or 30 of them, and that the language is the same in all of them, which is that Zufa, or UFC basically, uh, retains the right to be their sole promoter for anything related to combat sports. And it enumerates it. It says that would include boxing, kickboxing, any kind of grappling contests, wrestling, professional wrestling, anything. Anything related um, to any kind of combative athletic activity, they have sole discretion and sole right to promote. Now, the way they were able to waive that with Connor was, one, they realized they could make a lot of money with it, and then, two, they kind of acted in that manner. They acted as, as his promoter for that, um, although he obviously has his own little promotion company as well. But the short answer there is people are like, well, what, you know, don't you see UFC fighters doing, you know, jujitsu tournaments and stuff? The UFC doesn't really police that because, you know, you can get injured in a jujitsu tournament, obviously, BC. But one, if a UFC fighter wins that, it adds prestige for them and UFC. And two, it's really not any different than the way that they train. But a boxing match, you know, a professional boxing match, or in this case, an exhibition, at least in the UFC's mind, could carry a different series of consequences depending on how it goes. And so um, they, don't really, they don't really like that. All right. It's not like the, the understanding of that isn't lost on me, if that's the case, because, you know, Conor proved in the Floyd Mayweather match that he can make a lot of money outside the UFC, so they want to be able to prevent a situation where they, the UFC makes a star and then that star leaves for more money and goes elsewhere. But I don't know. It's weird. I mean, you know, We've seen in both sports, boxing and MMA or entertainment, where if somebody wants to go try their hand at pro wrestling and make money there, that it seems like they're able to pull that off. Maybe because that's not, you know, real sport and it's just theater that that that, that is allowed. But, Luke, you know, you hope that the future is, le should I say, less restrictive on these contracts? I mean, how would you change that if you're a fighter without a union? You'd have to stand firm and only sign the deals that don't have that, and then they'd say... All of our deals have that, so go pound sand, correct? Right. So here's the deal. The and this is we never really talked about this, and I wonder if this played a role in Zufa boxing at all. Um, I should say the lack of creation of it. The Eric McGracken over at Combat, uh, I think it's Combat Sports Law is the name of his blog, but you can just look him up. He's a Canadian lawyer, and uh, you know he he writes about this. What he's basically argued is that the the language of the UFC contract. As it stands, it, there's an argument to be made. We don't know this. You'd have to convince a court of this. But there's an argument to be made that it actually contradicts the protections of the Ali Act. And so if you were able to go to court, you could argue, listen, so insofar as I want to box, I am entitled to these federal protections that overrule this particular contract. Now, you'd still be locked into your contract as a mixed martial arts fighter to the UFC. They would have, they would absolutely be, you couldn't then just say, oh, well, Ali Act freed me, now I'm going to go fight in Bellator or one. You couldn't do that. You'd still be locked into them. But they could not have the right to refuse uh, or control your ability to go box. That would actually be a separate line of protection. And this is why GSP kind of saying, oh, I don't want to do it, I'm in the bad guy. I'm like, dude, that's like, th that's a total cop-out. If he doesn't want to pay for lawyers, he just wants to wait, that's absolutely his discretion. But that's not true. He would actually look like a, you know, freedom fighter is a strong word, but he would actually look like somebody who's, dude, there are a handful of guys in the game who have the unique ability to change contracts if yes. they want to. A retired fighter with a big bankroll and a strong case to make is exactly that guy. So if St. Peter doesn't want to, that's his choice. But he is dead wrong when he says, oh, I'd be the villain. No, the fuck you would not.
So I, I like that you said that, Luke, because I was going to essentially spin a devil's advocate question just like that at you, which is to say your point where, like, you know, it would take somebody with leverage. I, I, I questioned out loud while John Jones is going through this public dispute over money and his move up to heavyweight. What if he just went for it? He's still somewhat, somewhat young enough. Where what if he just went for it, went to court, did whatever he could, tried to make change for fighters in general that would go beyond him? Would it be worth it? It's it's worth debating. And, you know, at the end, I think we both agree he might not be wired that way to want that, to add that part to his legacy. You look, to be that person that makes change, I mean, there's a responsibility. There is a weight to carry. So I don't want to discount that in GSP's regard, Luke. There is a, you know, a stress in, in sort of this will consume your life for a period of time. But since GSP has been so selective on when, why, and where he would be considered to coming back, and he's kept himself in such incredible shape. And Luke, it's like, I almost feel like, man, you are the perfect candidate to take a stand for all fighters and the future of fighting by trying to do this right now, trying to change just this little, uh, maybe it's bigger than I think, but, you know, little loophole in the overall structure of the contracts to try to open up these side revenue potential sources for fighters. I don't know. It's interesting, Luke. The one thing I will say is I can't believe it's four years. We're coming up on four years since GSP last fought against Michael Jesus. Bisping. To me, it still feels like yesterday. Hmm. And it was four years before that, Luke, that he last fought against Johnny Hendricks. So two years from now, I see all the videos of, of his of how jacked and ripped he is, Luke. He's walking on his hands and all these videos. I feel like at 42, if anyone's going to still be in position not only to make a big payday if, if crossover fights are still a thing, but maybe even Luke to come back to the UFC for the right type of fight that could add to his legacy. I'm not counting this guy out even two years from now. Are yeah, you? but he could do that now. I mean, he was just down there in Puerto Rico training with Gordon Ryan and all those folks at the Dan Hurd Death Squad. He could do that now, but I think he's, I, I, honestly, I, I think he's got that, uh, whose mentality was it? I, f I forget, but he's got that mentality now where I don't think the Habib fight, now that it can't or won't or whatever happened i don't think he cares about anybody else to, to do this is like the, my problem with these exhibition fights it's enticing to a guy at this level because dude what are you gonna say saint pierre didn't do it all and risk it all i mean the guy fought the best of his generation over and over and over and over again then went up a weight class and took the belt another one like he just did the most amazing things and so the point i want to raise here is that like for a guy like saint pierre at 42 coming back and having a fight where it's like you know, the threat of a knockout is much lower. Um, the training is intense, but not nearly as onerous to the body in terms of an injury, all that kind of stuff. It's like, dude, I get why that's appealing, but like, I, I got to tell you, I want the danger of the real fight. <laughs> I want the danger of knowing that one of you guys could get stretched and hurt. And like, that's what makes a fight thrilling. So all this like carnival shit where guys want to come here and it's like, oh, we can squint and kind of tell there was action. I mean, here's my basic read on all these exhibition fights. The one with Jake Paul and Ben Askren was fine because it was so short and, you know, it was one punch basically and it was a one-hitter quitter. But, like, all the other ones, they're just boring. They're fucking boring because there's not a lot of danger to them. There's not a lot of risk. And the guys who are participating like it that way, understandably, but I don't. Looks like I like gore, man. I like little children taking shard pieces of glass and sticking it in Indonesian actors' eye sockets and rubbing it. Uh, Luke, Dude, final tell question. Me, tell me when the little girl was in the back seat and the guy was climbing through the back window and she pulls out a knife and just starts stabbing him in the throat that you were like, come. God damn. More to come at the end of the show. Uh, Luke, <laughs> final question on GSP is this. We know it seems like the only fight 
to do a traditional UFC fight that would have made sense to him historically was Habib. It didn't happen. We also debated ad nauseum whether there was a price for the million dollar man and whether Dana could just give an astronomical number to get Habib back for any fight. Luke, as it pertains to GSP, do you think there's a number that Dana hasn't offered yet that could get him back right now at age 40 to be a a perfect B-side for Kamaru Usman's, you know, uh, furthering like his legacy and, and standing out? At, right now, I think Kamaru's the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. He's building a heck of a welterweight title reign. Do you think there's any number that could entice GSP to come back and be the B-side against him? Well, be yeah, the there is, but dude, is there a number? Well, okay, I don't know that there is. I'm assuming that there is. I'm assuming that there's a number. Again, dude, like, do you think UFC's going to pay that? You know what I mean? Like, whatever it was, let's say, I don't know, 20 million or something. Dude, they're not going to pay a guy that. And in boxing, that's a big, that's a huge payday, but it's not in any way any kind of, like, unheard of payday. Um, not at all. But there's always numbers. The question is not the number. The question is, is the UFC going to match that number, meet those expectations? And... Dude, that's did you um did you I'll give a shout out. Do you read Ben Folks's piece? Or do you subscribe to the Athletic at all, BC? I no longer subscribe to the Athletic since they got rid of my uh, great friend Rafe Bartholomew, uh, seemingly for you know out of nowhere for no yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, they they got rid of a lot of people. They got rid of Chuck and and you know you know it's I don't even know who works over there anymore. But certainly so, Ben. So still take works that there. Athletic, okay? Take that. Take what are you gonna do now? Uh, I almost ended up working there, but you know I didn't. Um. I had a cup of coffee with him too, Luke. I do like I do like. Yeah, a lot of no, no, no. Like I know him. you did. I know we both did. We both did. Um, I'm just saying. Point being is this: he he bought like one share of Endeavor stock, but as an owner of Endeavor stock, he is entitled to all the reports that come out to any of the shareholders. And in it, the analysts basically describe the UFC business model. It's like, and we we knew this, but it's, it's worth just laying out real quickly, BC, which is. It's not this highly volatile, we're dependent on stars and pay-per-view businesses, just the most important central thing we could ever possibly do. Certainly it is very important, but they've turned that over into like a live event company that thrives on um, you know, licensing fees and media rights um, and then churning out as much content as possible. That's why they can be like, oh, John Jones doesn't want to fight? Dude, it doesn't make a, that much, if, if any, kind of difference to us. And certainly in the long run, it actually is better for us because it shows we don't bend. Like, this need to make these big fights, yes, they can't totally abandon that mission. Otherwise, it would just open up the, the marketplace to competitors. They're a little bit hamstrung in that way. But do they have insane latitude to just tell fighters more than they ever have in their entire existence to go fuck themselves? If you don't want to be a part, you don't have to. Their business has changed in a way to insulate them from their their needs and the demands of fighters and once you realize that it's like oh what the, what's the number for GSP you think they fucking care they don't care they don't need that fight at all to to do what they're going to do and so what's the number the number is that's the number the number is fuck off luke uh, do, do you, would you give 40 year old GSP a chance against Usman knowing that he's somebody that can like pull off miracle oh, okay i say miracles one miracle, and it was against an old Bizping, so we know what really happened there. Luke, right? It was a great achievement, a great performance. Would you give him any chance at 40 against Usman? Yeah, I'd give him some. I would definitely favor Usman to win. I think, you know, St. Pierre gets lost a little bit. He used to knuckle people into the, uh, into the mat, too. You know, you look at the beating he put on Jay Huron or um, some other guys. You know, Fitch, he dropped multiple times with his hands. So... Yes, I would give him some chance, but dude, I think Kamar Usman, while he doesn't have quite the overall game that a prime St. Pierre did, 
I think his power is significantly greater. I think that his motor is better. And um, I think he's. I don't think people really just appreciate this. He just doesn't take a lot of damage, man. It's really hard to hurt Kamar Usman. It's, you've seen it a couple of times with Gilbert Burns, you know, early, but not in any kind of sustained way. You've actually seen the opposite of that with St. Colby, Pierre. Colby think, in round five kind of had him a little shaky, right? Right? Yes, there are moments where he's been hurt, but if you look at the totality of his career, he doesn't take a lot of damage. Some, yes, some noteworthy examples. I don't mean to say that he's a defensive maestro. What I mean to say is that in general, um, it's hard to do consistent damage to him minute over minute, and I don't think that's the case for a guy like Kamara. I think Kamara would probably win, but I do agree that that would be a competitive contest. All right. Thank you for handling all my questions on this. Luke, we move on. The only really fight of note that we do have this weekend is Showtime Jeff Championship Boxing is back. Luke, they're back at a place that just can't help itself but put on one war after another. Moronello calls it the punch bowl. You can call it the war grounds, whatever you want. Dignity Health Sports Park, Carson, California, is your home here for Chris Colbert defending his WBA interim junior lightweight title, or maybe not defending it, maybe fighting for it. Um, against Luke, a replacement opponent that may have been an upgrade. Originally, Colbert was going to face veteran, former world champion, Uriorcus Gamboa. An injury knocked him out. Now we've got King Tug Niambiar moving up the four pounds from featherweight to 130 pounds. And Luke, the potential here is that this has, this could really be a fun main event. Now, if you're not woke to Chris Colbert, he's a rising PBC fighter who you do have to take note of. Fights at 130 pounds, 24 years old, unbeaten, has had some sick knockouts on the way up. He is as brash Luke as they come from Brooklyn, New York. Right now, I believe his hair is dyed some shade of orange, which he's doing uh, for multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, um, awareness based on somebody he grew up with, which is which is cool. But what I'm here to say is that he dyes his hair, he fights aggressive, and he'll get on a microphone as he did talking about Deontay Wilder, of all people, in the past few weeks, and just straight up send him to hell with no remorse. Luke, the build to this over the last week and a half since King Tug, Tug was named the replacement opponent, was Colbert basically saying, look, I respect this guy, but he's a featherweight. If he thinks he's coming up to 130 I, and, and is going to you know, knock me off, I was already going to knock Gamboa out cold. Now King Tug's going to get the same treatment. Uh, w- woke yourself, Luke, to Chris Colbert, because it does sound like he's coming. Yeah, I've actually been wrong about him a couple of times. I think I've underestimated him. I'm not sure why. I don't know what it was about. I mean, maybe it was the flashy hair or something that uh, you see the fight there against Arboleda. Um, I, 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 I don't know what I expected from him in this fight, but I got a lot more than I expected. King Tug is a weirdo, man. Like, he is very, very talented. But I, I'll say this. I don't, unless Colbert, Colbert, whatever, yeah, Tell me whatever, if I'm wrong, Luke. BC. Whatever, Un- right? Yeah, unless he decides to accommodate King Tug in terms of where he wants to fight, which he did in the Arboleda fight, I don't see how King Tug wins because a guy like Colbert, whatever, is it Colbert or Colbert? Which, which one you, you is it? You can pronounce it correctly. It's Colbert, Chris Colbert. Colbert. A guy like Colbert is just too slick. He's too slick with the footwork, too slick with the angles, too slick with the punches and the speed. It's not that I don't think highly of King Tug. I actually do think highly of him, but it takes a certain kind of opponent for him to really shine. And Colbert, or Colbert, excuse me, is not that guy. At least, at least on paper, or at least on the videotape that I've seen, 
he's not that guy. So I actually like the contrast in styles, but I worry about the nature of the fight because I just feel like this is a really bad matchup for King Tug. I feel like we're having a whole Naldo moment all over again here, Luke. Pull it together there, please. Sorry, um, sorry. So here's the deal. Let me counter that. Let me tell you this about King Tug. You're going to come on on this show, right? Come on. This guy's coming, Luke. Okay. So you, got, you, got food, you got food in your teeth there, show host? I do. So I'm, I'm drinking a, a, a power shake because, you know, I got a black liver. So I'm trying to turn it around. The problem with that is I didn't have the button down on the, on the uh, what do you call that thing? The blender, Luke, long enough because the kids were sleeping when I made it. And now I got chunks in it, and then I'm, I'm eating on the air, which is just gross, but it's Friday, so I don't really care that much. And you're butchering this Showtime main eventer's name and basically trying to tell people this fight won't be competitive. Luke, I'm trying to tell you that King Tug's coming. So two fights ago, we fought Gary Russell for a featherweight title. Yes, he lost that fight somewhat thoroughly on the cards. But Luke, you remember that fight. He was coming on late. The guy will not stop coming forward, which can be a blessing and a curse sometimes. This fight will be interesting because even though Chris Colbert looks flashy, looks to potentially be a player in and around this weight class at 130. He's just 24. This is still a step up in competition for him when you look back at who he has fought. This is also the first time he's getting the profile treatment. Showtime main event, famous arena, put him in there. Saturday night, only show in town this combat weekend, more or less, Luke. This is going to be a close-up to find out who he really is. I kind of like the last-minute matchmaking here of taking a guy who's not going to take a step back in King Tug and yes. is going to put it on the flashy young kid and find out what he's made of. When that happens, Luke, two things happen. One, the guy with the flashy hair might not be as you know intangibly strong as we think, and he may crumble. Or two, he may spectacularly deposit King Tug to the canvas because if you put that kind of pressure on somebody who is made and built for it, and Luke, when you come from Brooklyn, and you talk like that, and you got chunks in your teeth, you're made for it, Luke. You're made for well, it. Well, so it depends, be, it depends where in Brooklyn you're from. I mean, everyone acts like every neighborhood in Brooklyn is tough. No, not every neighborhood in Brooklyn is tough. Oh, but Brooklyn go, does Luke. have some tough-ass neighborhoods, yeah. to be Old clear. Old Marietta checking in here, here. Yeah, a lot of street cred there, Luke. You wouldn't well, last listen, a week in Listen, hey, bitch, I lived time. in Brooklyn. Let me tell you, not all parts of it are tough. I'm telling you right now. But most parts of it are pretty tough. Okay. Yeah, well, not, not the gentrified, like, yeah. hipster-ish, you know. Yeah. Listen, like Bedford-Stuyvesant, Bed-Stuy used to be a lot tougher than it is today. I can tell you that. We love our guy, uh, Big Meech, Manich, Larry Hoover, our producer, who's not here today. Luke, that guy looks like he would come up in, like, the gentrified, yeah. like, skinny jeans Brooklyn area, yeah, right? Yeah, but, you know, here's the thing. He came out a better human than both of us. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, did he? Oh, did he really? Just because it's going to... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you know his name, but, hey, shout out to Gaff, who <laughs> is, is working the ones and two... When Gaff is on patrol, by the way, we don't have J moments. I just want to remind you of that right there. We certainly there. do not. Uh, uh, real quickly, to answer, but Jose, Jose, to answer your question here very, very, very quickly, if I can, BC... Listen, I don't know that it's all that competitive, but that doesn't mean that the fight doesn't have value. Let me give you an MMA example for the audience's sake here, right? So Shavkat Rachmanov, who just fought last weekend, went up against Michelle Prezerich. The fight ended up not being even remotely competitive. Rachmanov ran through him, but he took his time to do it, and he showcased his skill along the way and bumped up his name value and then earned another spot to something uh, higher uh, therein. And then also, Prezerish is a tough test for anybody. Rachmanov made it look easy, but he's not an easy guy to beat. Now, I'm not saying that King Tug is easy to beat. What I mean to say is, it's a great test for Colbert. It really is. It's a legitimately interesting, kind of tough test for him. I'm only saying, I think highly enough of Chris Colbert 
that I think he passes it, and I think he passes it in a way where you get a great admiration and sense of his overall skill. But I don't mean to say that, like, do I think King Tug has a like a realistic chance to win? I'd be lying if I said I did. Looks like I think so highly of Chris Colbert that I'll mispronounce his name and not care about it for half Well, hour. I mean, listen, um, I know. I fucked his name up because I have Stephen Colbert's name just etched into my brain in a way that I just I can't. Hear you. Un- I hear you. But I but I watched the tape on him. I watched his last fight and then some other ones as well in preparation for today. He's fucking slick, man. He's super slick. He's as talented as he advertises himself to be. And I just think that's a really tough test for King Tug. But to your point, that dude is a forward motion perpetual machine, and that presents a bit of a puzzle for a guy like Colbert to solve. Uh King Tug's real first name is Tug Saga. I ruined that a lot. He's from Mongolia, fights out of LA, Luke. Name me a better combat sports nickname than King Tug. I mean, that's fantastic, Luke. That is great. Yeah, that's pretty right? fucking good. That's great. Okay. Love it. Hey, speaking of boxing, Luke, and check that out 9 p.m. Eastern Saturday night on Showtime. Hey, Luke, we got an interesting turn of events here on another Showtime boxing fight, a pay-per-view set for August when Jake Paul makes his debut on this network mm-hmm. against former UFC welterweight champion Tyron Woodley. Luke, Woodley has been predicting a lot of KOs lately, but he's also putting his money... Catch that for a little bit of uh, wordplay. Where his mouth is. Check out this tweet this week from old T. Wood. Bank robbery in progress. Y'all fucked up. It's stuck. Stuck? Yeah, it's stuck now. At Floyd Mayweather. So here's the deal, Luke. Do you remember during Logan Paul fight week, Floyd Mayweather was being interviewed? He mentioned, hey, you give me a chance to train Tyron Woodley. I'd love to do that. I'll train him to, you know, essentially knock out Jake Paul. Luke, I don't know officially if if Floyd is going to be, like, the trainer for fight night. But at the very least, Woodley is doing part of his camp with Floyd there hands-on. This has to be an interesting wrinkle in development towards this fight. Because, Luke, there's video out there. And if, Gaff, if you want to play this as sort of background There's video out there of Woodley preparing for this fight. You'll see the work he's done there in Miami with trainer Pedro Diaz, who has a fantastic boxing reputation. He's actually training Paige Van Zandt right now, by the way. But um, he's got a reputation for turning around Miguel Cotto at 154 after the Margarito loss into a defensive force. Luke, he was Rigandau's trainer in that rise when he beat Donaire. Now we got Floyd's brains in there. What type of impact do you think this could have on this fight? In August, I think we're still settling on a final date, but uh, this should be a big one. This is going to be a silly-ass question, but just humor me. We're certain that this is not a professional boxing contest, and it is an exhibition? I don't have that answer for you. Because to I me... Mean, does, it, does it really matter, though? What, what What's the difference in your eyes? I think, you know... Jake, uh, well, no, hold on, pause this. Jake Paul has been doing only pro fights, right? He's 3-0 and with three pro wins. Yeah, there's a pro fight, bro. Okay, um, I think it does make a difference because I think, it A, it lengthens the... Well, I don't know how long the bout will be given that the, both of them are inexperienced as boxers. But, um, you know, for a guy like Connor versus Floyd, it would have been a big difference. If Connor versus Floyd had been a, an exhibition, it would not have been the same kind of fight, I don't think. Um, may, may have been roughly similar-ish, but not. there would have been some big differences. Okay, neither here nor there. The reason why I bring it up, BC, is because I got to tell you, let's assume for the sake of argument that it is an exhibition. Let's just assume that. You might, might not be at all, but let's assume that. If it is, this is about, I think, as excited for an exhibition as I could be. Uh, which is to say, I still don't put this on par with, you know, um, 
you know, I, I, you just can't treat it like Tyron defending against Darren Till or something. I don't, I don't think it's in that, in that level of uh, anticipation or esteem. But, but the way in which these two are meeting in the middle, you know, when you get two exhi- guys who are at an exhibition bout and they're kind of like figuring out what's the way we can make this work between their different skill sets and blah, blah, blah. And most of the time, I feel like that calculation is so hard to get right, they get it wrong. Now, I feel like this might be as good as you can get. There's a lot we don't know about Jake Paul. In fact, there's most things we don't know about Jake Paul. People keep like proudly telling me about his abilities, and I'm not here to say it's wrong. I just don't know if that's true. And I'm certainly skeptical, given what Tyron Woodley showed us in his last four fights in UFC, where he still is. But I got to tell you this. I know for a fact that Tyron Woodley is an elite athlete. I know for a fact that he's training hard. I know for a fact that he still has big fucking power that we saw against Vicente Luque in other parts of his career. And I got to tell you, he does know how to train hard for a fight. Not that Jake Paul doesn't per se, but we know Tyron does. And that dude, I mean, it's kind of funny. When they first announced this, I was like, oh man, I think Tyron just maybe, you know, he's just past it at this point. And Jake Paul is pouncing on, um, not an easy target, but a smart opportunity, let's say. And now you hear Tyron talking like y'all have gassed this guy up to a point where he's believing his own hype. Watch what happens when I get all my ducks in a row, so to speak. And, you know, he's going to get paid big money for this, which I'm certainly happy about. BC, I got to tell you, training with Floyd that way. Before I went from, I think this is a bad thing for Tyron. And now I'll say, you know what? I don't fucking know what it is, but I know it's probably not as bad as I thought before. I'm going to take a very agnostic approach. I wonder where you are seeing all of this. I think the way you just said that, I don't fucking know, is really the best place you would want people who actually know a thing or two about fighting, like us having covered both sports for years, to be. We don't want to enter a celebrity crossover fight where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm watching it for the, the, you know, the roadside accident part of it. And to look, be honest, to a degree, that was that with Floyd and Logan. I think it was the, you know, is Floyd going to walk out there and knock this this bigger dude out or is he going to have some kind of chance against Floyd? I think this on paper is still the best case scenario of how to make these type of pro fights, but not really between pros, um, exciting and must see because you don't know how it's going to end. So even with this change, Luke, I still think Jake Paul should be the rightful favorite because I think we can't look past He's going to have somewhat of like a 20-pound natural weight advantage here. He's been boxing around the 190 sort of above light heavyweight, small cruiserweight level. And we all know Woodley fought most, you know, almost his whole career there at 170. So you're going to have a naturally bigger guy who's had, let's say, more experience in traditional boxing. But when you look at the video and you say, okay, it's just a video of him, you know, shadow boxing or hitting pads, whether it's with Pedro Diaz or not with Floyd. But look, at the very least, you can say that there's a credibility there. That, that you could not say coming in about, about Ben Askren at all, that you sure. could not say coming in about Nate Robinson, who was Jake Paul's second opponent and took, what, like a one-month training camp to make his debut? And you certainly couldn't say it about Ann Eason Gibb, the fellow YouTuber, social media influencer, whatever he is. You called him a gas station attendant, Luke, and he Well, hold on. He did, I called him that, but I didn't know who he was. I was just saying mean Pre-diabetic things. gas station attendant, and he yeah. called you out on Twitter, which was hilarious. But my point is, Luke, Jake, up to this point in three fights, haven't just fought novices, right? I mean, look, Ashgren had hip surgery, and he never had hands. And he's old, and he looked like he was there to cash the check, and that's it. He didn't fight anyone who could give him opposition. Not only could Woodley... With all the things you said, 
from athleticism to the history of using his hands. Yes, he was, you know, the threat of the takedown certainly helped, and he could also kick in MMA and do a lot of other things, but he could use his hands, and he showed that he's used his hands. Makes it where, Luke, we don't fucking know what it's going to look like. And if he can take the whatever he can gain from geniuses of this game, like Pedro Diaz, who comes from that Cuban amateur system, and like the great Floyd Mayweather, who not only just fought Jake Paul's brother, who seems to be on a similar talent and experience level as Jake himself. Luke, I think this entices the idea that at the very least, we don't know how the, what this is going to look like or how it's going to end. I think we can both sit here, Showtime employees or not, and look into the camera and say, you got to believe there's going to be a lot more action and threat of a knockout in this fight than Logan versus Floyd turned out to be. I think this is going to be fun theater, Luke, in which the losers get knocked out, and we may see both of them enter sort of a fight-or-flight mode, which is what we want in a celebrity fight. The only way the bubble is going to avoid bursting is if these guys go out there and mix it up. I like this, Luke. I like if Floyd can show him just a little bit on how to work the jab, go to the body, not leave yourself open in ways that you did with MMA because there were other things to worry about, Luke. This is interesting if you ask me, bro. Do you, though, Luke, and you don't get into this pro wrestling side of this game, but we hear rumors that Jake has a multi-fight Showtime deal, not confirmed by anybody, but we hear rumors. Is there anything to Floyd maybe getting on Team Woodley's side to set up the Floyd versus Jake fight? Or did we see enough from Floyd versus Logan that it's over for Floyd? Yeah, it's probably over for Floyd. I, I don't have any interest in Floyd versus Jake Paul, to be candid with you, okay. after that, after the performance in Miami. But I'll okay. say this. That's fair. That's fair. I actually feel like a lot hinges on this fight, pro or exhibition or otherwise, because it's being, if it's not pro and it is an exhibition, it's, or I should say the opposite. It, it's, it's, yeah, if it's pro and, and not exhibition, it's still being viewed as kind of like one of these crossover silly-ass fights. I'll say this, BC. If the fight is good, I think that the bubble on this kind of crossover stuff goes on uh, a little bit longer. But I'll say if it's a stinker, I think it will actually really hasten the demise of the market. Um, if those guys don't go out there, and again, not from the, you know, they don't have to run across the ring when the bell rings, but in the end, if people don't feel satisfied with it, they're gonna be like, why are we fucking watching these things? You know, good normal fights, pro fights, um, they can be bad, they can be good, but there's a little bit of danger to them all. There's got to be an element of danger to this one, one way yeah, or no the doubt. other. But I'll say, I'll say, I think these guys are situated to bring it out, so we'll see. All right, what about, real quick, to close, and I know people want us to move on, or some do, but, you know, that could be the loud, vocal minority in the YouTube comments. Shout out to you guys. Um, what if Jake loses? What if it is a fun fight, but Jake loses, and he gets knocked out? He's the Kimbo Slice in this situation, meaning he's the guy that, between Triller and now Showtime, He's the, the attraction in a lot of ways. He's using old, faded names like Kimbo did initially to build himself up. What if he goes out there, it's a decent fight, but he gets knocked the hell out? Does that burst the balloon as well, Luke? Not immediately. Not immediately. One of the big lessons I learned through Kimbo, I thought, oh, as soon as Kimbo loses, everyone will realize that this guy's not all that great. And then he loses badly. And yes, there were some ups and downs in his career, even as a, an attraction. Um, and obviously he had that sort of weird stint in boxing halfway through everything. But um, the lesson from Kimbo Slice, and he's a little bit different, but that people who like Jake Paul, whoever they may be, they don't necessarily like him for his boxing. In fact, they just kind of 
tolerate it or maybe they go along with it. But that's really not how he, he he's he's making a, maybe a new level of fame with this. But his audience likes him independent of this. They literally liked him before he ever did any of it. So you'll find that I think if he loses and loses badly, it probably does affect his stock in many ways. But that like you know Jake Paul ceases to be able to generate any kind of uh, income through fighting. I'd be skeptical of that. That will eventually you know uh, like all things peter out. But just one loss, no, not necessarily. All right, Luke. Thank you for your analysis there. I think that's right on. Let's rotate to our next topic, Luke, which is a little bit of a quick hitter. Some latest news in the roundup. Here's one that's not in the rundown that we don't have graphics to back up, but I do want you to answer one question about it. I told you a couple weeks ago that Paige Van Sant and BKFC had formally announced that she is going to return against Rachel Ostevich, who will be making her bare knuckle debut, I believe. Don't, don't dead wrong me if I'm wrong there. Also, they fought as well in the UFC, Luke. But here's the question for you. This will be July 23rd. It'll be a pay-per-view emanating from South Florida the night before Wilder Fury 3, just a few weeks away. If Paige Van Zandt loses two in a row to start off her bare-knuckle career, is that ship over, Luke, that BKFC has invested a ton of money in? Yeah, I didn't understand the BKFC thing from day one. I mean, I, I, I understand the logic that they used to present their decision making and i think the answer is hey they've just offered us a fuck ton of money so we took it fine you know it's a prize fighting game maybe she doesn't have designs on doing this long term fine but i said the moment that she left ufc that i thought the better fit for her would be bellator where um you know she obviously like part of the reason why she won that ostovich fight if memory serves was on the ground correct like it was relatively even ish on the feet and it was on the ground where the difference came like obviously you're not going to get any of that shit here and more to the point like you know Paige Van Zandt's ability to succeed such as she has has been sort of wild chaos through the full range of combative opportunities that MMA provides and a guy like Scott Coker I think would understand how to sort of nurture her if not development maybe part of that but also you know what she's got let's let's make the best of what she's got BKFC they're trying to do that you know but I just don't – I could be wrong. She might beat Ostevich. I'm not saying she can or she won't. I don't make – I really don't know enough about the situation anymore to, to make a, to a, okay. a broad declaration. But, BC, I got to tell you, I've never thought this was the best fit. I'll put that – you know, no matter BKF, – BKFC is trying. Like, I'm not bagging on them. But I didn't think it was the right fit for her. And if she goes 0-2, I'm not sure where you're supposed to go at that point and still be somebody they can rely upon. Because, dude, think about it. Okay, BKFC will pay you a lot of money. Fine. You got to be able to consistently draw if you're going to do that. You can't if you're just consistently losing. Three quick points I'm going to hit you off coming up. Did you use the term broad declaration because we're talking about women? Was that a play on words, Luke? No, you're just a clown. All right. Number two, um, I, I think that she needs to win. Huge. I think she needs to win, Luke, big time, because uh, I think there's a little bit of money. Not a ton, but there's a little bit of money in a Britain Hart rematch. I think Britain Hart who is a effing feeling, Luke, did sort of make you want to see her again. Now, I've been following her romance with Joey Beltran on Instagram. He's got his hands all over that that uh, that backside, Luke. I don't know if you've seen their pictures on the beach, but congratulations to their budding romance. Number three, Luke, to close, let's not count out Rachel Ostevich. She did have the cojones to jump off the cliffs at Why Am I, Luke. And we all know that old, that other, the other old, old uh, Dana White didn't, okay? She had the cojones. Yeah. yeah. She did. Yeah. You mean the cojones? 
the Cojones, Luke. Okay, let's keep it going here with this quick hitters, Luke. Hey, Mike Coppinger, formerly of The Athletic, just announced that he was hired by uh, ESPN. I wonder if to, to fill the Canadian's role in a way, Luke. He'll be covering boxing and MMA moving forward. His first uh, bit of sauces that he put out there is a report that we've got a 140-pound duel currently being negotiated, Luke. That could be, wow, Regis Rougarou Progre versus four-division champion Mikey Garcia in talks for a fall bout at 140 pounds. The fight would be promoted by Eddie Hearn and would air on DAZN. Uh, all parties have confirmed that we are in the final stages of talks and that everyone wants it. Luke, I know you love you some Rougarou. Both guys are interesting free agents in the game right now in and around a hot division. How psyched would you be for this one? Super psyched. I mean, the only thing you could say, I think, is that, you know, what was the last time Garcia fought at, at this weight class? 2017 when he beat Broner and then Lipinets, right? That, I think that's yes. the last time. And then yes, he, went he fought to one... twice at welterweight after that, losing to Spence and beating Jesse Vargas. Right. So the Vargas fight's fine, and then he got whooped in the Spence fight. But okay, Spence, it was a, you know, that was a long shot opportunity for Garcia and, and Spence to Spence. So I don't hold too much of that against him. But I think very, very highly of Mikey Garcia. I, I love this fight. I think Rougarou... You know, he gave Taylor everything I thought Taylor could handle at a time. Um, but, you know, came up a little bit short. I was surprised by that. But I, I'm i a big believer in his ability. I'm a big believer in his power. Uh, and Garcia, to me, I'm curious to see what he'll look like back at the weight class. I think that Rougarou is going to be the bigger power puncher of the two. But Mikey is just such a well-rounded, complete boxer. I, I there's not you're not going to hear me say a lot bad about this fight. I, I like both guys a lot. I'm particularly um, keen towards Rougarou and dude Eddie Hearn. I'll give him credit, man. I did not see this one coming. We kind of said, oh, what about Mikey Garcia for Tank? What about I even said, what about Regis Progre for Tank? Well, Eddie Hearn was ahead of both of us. He was like, I got a better idea. What about Regis Progre taking on Mikey Garcia and I'll put it on the zone. I got to tell you, dude, Eddie Hearn's out there doing some some decent things these days, and this is one of them. Yeah, shout out to that. Uh, I love this fight. Garcia is now 33. He took some time off for you know to get out of his promotional deal with Top Rank. He sat out a long time. I like Luke that lately he's only about history. He's one of the rare fighters who is literally only about his legacy. Turns down big money in certain spots. Yes, he was trying to get the Pacquiao fight, but since that fell apart, he knows that 140 is probably at this point of his career his best weight class. Um, he doesn't have, let's say, one-punch knockout power at 140 like he did at lightweight and junior lightweight and featherweight. But it's a lot different than, than welterweight, Luke, where I think he found his ceiling. You know, he dared to be great against Spence. He came up hugely empty. He fought well against Jesse Vargas. Let's give him that credit in that welterweight fight. But this is a full test of who Mikey still is and what he has. And you want to see for Progray. If he gets a win here, Luke, that's like by far the best win of his career and could catapult him into some really big ones. So a great potential 50-50-ish fight here. I say that because... It's going to be competitive. I still think you have to favor Garcia because of the skills, but damn, Regis Progre gets inside of you. You can't keep him away. It's going to be fun to see if they make that. Number two here on these quick hitters, or maybe number three, depending how my math goes. Luke, there's a UFC fighter named Sarah Alpar, who I wasn't fully woke on. She calls herself too sweet. She has a 9-5 and five record, a 30-year-old bantamweight, made her official UFC debut, losing to Jessica Rose Clark by TKO last September. That was after getting a submission win over Shanna Young on the Dana Paul, Dana White, contender series. Dana Paul, good Lord, Luke. Uh, the, the, the thing here is that she put a GoFundMe to try to raise money for a training camp because that's the situation financially for a lot of fighters in her spot. 
and none other than Jake Paul stepped up, Luke, donated five grand to it, and then put it on social media, and here's the words of his tweet. Shake my head. Imagine a rookie in the NBA had to start a GoFundMe to play. I let Sarah Alpar know she has my support and contribution. It's my honor and privilege to help fellow fighters in any way I can. He also wrote, keep training hard, Sarah, sending you positive energy for your camp. Luke, it didn't stop there, though. Triller, of all people, the former promoter of Jake Paul, jumps in, and they tweeted out, Triller Fight Club claims um, they were the ones who donated 25000 to Sarah Alpar's GoFundMe. It's sad to see such talented fighters making less than the UFC <laughs> ring card girls, end quote. Luke, as you can see on the screen there, Triller put out a, like, PR, like, story about this. What the hell do you make of two people not associated at all with the UFC going to this length to gain some public support and to push the idea of fighter pay further into the narrative? Listen, Jake Paul can be, you know, he can be a little annoying. It can be a lot annoying. But I got to tell you, dude, he has, I've come around on him a little bit. Not that I would ever, like, does he have a podcast or something? I don't even know what he does at this point other than this. But you know, I could never be a fan in that way. I, I, it doesn't work for me. But I'll say this, dude. This guy going out here and getting everyone in MMA to talk about him a few weeks ago was fucking hilarious to watch. You know, showing up to places and UFC fans irate. He's just got them all in the palm of his hand. You know, DC leaving the commentary booth to go see. I mean, it's just like, what the fuck are these people doing? That, that you know, it's so... Jake Paul realized something about MMA. It is extremely easy to be a successful troll to the very elite in MMA. It's not hard at all. They will bite on every fake and faint you throw at them, and he has been reaping the rewards of that ever since. Plus, he has been, whether or not it's just a way to take shots at Dana for fun, or he's trying to get signed by UFC, whatever the case may be, he has been a pretty vocal advocate for fighter pay Every time he's asked, he has not wavered. He has not changed. And again, you can decide for yourself how sincere it is. Tell me he's wrong. You cannot tell me he's wrong. So what is this? This is clearly an attempt <laughs> to get positive publicity, to get publicity at all, quite frankly. It fucking worked. It's kind of funny. Triller, I should say, is a little bit different. I mean, it's yeah, the same the kind of... Yeah, what the hell is Triller doing? Because they don't have no problem wasting money, it seems. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like, right. if, there is, if there is one commonality when Twitter, uh, excuse me, Triller's behavior is that they love spending money they don't have. But you know what? Sarah Alper wins this one big fucking time. I think she's up to like 40 grand on this shit. And she was hoping to get like, what, five to 10 at most or something? Um, got Good for her. And Jake Paul, dude, I will tell you, man, if you're, listen... There's a guy I know, and this will probably get around to him. I don't know him personally, but I've been a big fan of his work for a long time. Um, he's a guy who goes by the name of Infinite Elgin Intensity. He has a uh, YouTube channel. It's pretty successful. He's got a life outside of it, but he's got a YouTube channel. And years ago, he made a big name for himself by just trolling the CrossFit community. And, dude, they bit on – now, granted, he was very good at it. But they bit on everything he had to offer. So he went over and started doing it to the powerlifting community and absolutely tore them a fucking new one. It was unbelievable who he was getting to respond to him, and he would just do it over and over. Now he sells shit tons of merch. He's a lawyer in real life. He does these YouTube videos where he just, you know, uh, he doesn't really go back to the trolling thing. I'm just pointing out, 
if you're committed to the bit and you've got the right audience, you'd be shocked at what you can pull off. Infinite Elgin Tensity did it, and now Jake Paul is doing it. Well, I think Sarah Alpar wins because she gets money and attention, which she didn't have before, and it does raise the profile. I'm just, I don't get Triller doing it outside of like good PR. I mean, is this like a charitable donation in their in their eyes? Like it's just good PR in the end. But Luke, let me put the devil and devil's advocate to close here. Um, Jake Paul, from all reports, like his brother, is like a multi-millionaire. I think I I don't know. I think from what everybody says, they they are masterminds at making money at the very least. Is five grand um, like a like a spit in the bucket? Is that a little insulting, Luke? I know she was only trying to, to raise five to ten, but even Trillard's dropping twenty five large here. I mean, if you're Jake Paul, you think he can sneeze out fifty grand without thinking twice, Luke? What other UFC headliner has given five grand to it? Not one of their teammates, a stranger from another camp, any other okay. any other That's organization. That's, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I ask the hard questions in this game, Luke, okay? That's what I do, all right? I'll tell you what, like, you know, all these guys who say uh, um, fighter pay is great, UFC fighter pay is great, like Daniel Cormier. Has Cormier given five grand to somebody else? You know, not, not I mean, maybe he has. I, I don't know, but yeah. Um, for all the folks who say UFC fighter pay is great, I don't see a lot of donations from them, so keep that in mind. Hopefully UFC makes a donation in a paper bag, cash only, no receipts. Take that, John Nash. All right, Luke, our final bit of news and notes. No, we got two more quick ones. This Joe's chilling incident has taken over. I know you did a, a very lengthy and an educated reaction to this during your live chat on Thursday. But for anyone that hasn't seen, I have been inundated with requests to play this video mm -hmm. on our show and react to it. Here's the deal, Luke. Joe Schilling, former Bellator fighter, a renowned kickboxer, was in a bar. I'm not even sure where, Luke, but apparently in Fort Lauderdale, excuse me. There was somebody, this dude in the tie here, drunk and reportedly mouthing off to the level of even making racist remarks. Joe Schilling is coming here from behind, if you have not seen this video, returning from a smoke break outside, and here's what happened. Oh, good lord, Luke! I mean, good. Wow, do you get the, you get the the, the soda with that two piece, Luke? I mean, that is just. I don't even civilian. think it was a two piece. I think it was a one hitter quitter. Does the left hand land? No, I think it's a left right. I think it's a one two. Can we watch this one more time? Let's see. The camera moves right at the wrong time. So he hits him with the right. Oh, I, yeah. The I don't right know if the left landed. Uh, the left came across. I don't know if it landed. You're right. Um, so there's been a lot of hot take reactions to this. Joe Schilling has gone public and, and really doubled down on the idea that he says there were racist remarks. He feared for his life in that moment. Luke, I want to stop right there on the fear for your life. When you are a professional fighter and you have lethal hands or you're a, you know, a, a, a martial artist of any regard or even an ex-military with special training, there is an extra responsibility knowing what you hold in your hands. Luke, it didn't look life-threatening in that video, straight up. Now, the guy was angling and motioning like he was either pump faking or, or doing something. And the guy looks like a drunk asshole. Let's put that out first and foremost. And if he was making, you know, inappropriate racist remarks, I mean, I, I'm certainly not here to defend anything close to that. But this looks very, very excessive, Luke. Um, even, you know, I mean, I don't know how Joe Schilling can defend this. You have to believe a lawsuit is coming. Um, don't, like... I don't know. It's hard for me, Luke, because I don't get into fights. I don't seek out public or bar fights. I'm also not a badass. If I was, could I walk around with the air that, oh, you're talking shit to me? Well, taste this, bro. 
look me up. I mean, would I be different if I had that skill? I don't know, Luke. I'm also an adult with responsibility, and I can lose a lot by ha getting into something like this. It just makes Joe Schilling look bad. Straight up is where I'm going with this. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot, I, mean, I had a lot to say about it yesterday, and you guys can go check it out. I've known, you know, I, I, it would be absolutely wrong to say I'm friends with Joe Schilling, but I've been, I've had a really good professional relationship with a very long time, and I met his folks at one of the Glory shows, and they were just as sweet as can be, man. I really mean that. Like, he came from, from what I can tell anyway, uh, a great family, and so that's, it's, you know, um, I can't lose sight of that thing. But the weird part about this whole thing is, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm conflicted, BC, because I think that's wrong. Like, here's my overarching take. And, you know, I've worked in bars doing security, man. I did it for years. Here's, here's the reality about this. Dude, if you do stuff like this, okay, this guy got his comeuppance, let's say. Maybe he was a, you know, a douchebag and he, you know, he tasted some, some, some street justice and that's great. Um, but, dude, like, I cannot tell you how many times, like, we threw guys out of bars and they'd come back with weapons, you know, uh, you beat up one guy at a bar and then they catch you in the street later on with a bunch of friends of theirs and it doesn't go the way you think. Or, you know, I had a guy who DM me saying he knew a guy personally, was a friend of his, who beat up some guy in a bar and then that dude's friend came back with a gun and shot and killed him and he had to bury his fucking friend. Like Damn. this, this sounds, Damn, this, and he sent me, he sent me the news articles and everything. Like this sounds like I'm being hyperbolic, but I've literally seen retribution or even scenarios where you just drill a guy's jaw and then they fall back and then her head hits the concrete. Now you have to call the ambulance. And, you know, even if they live, which sometimes they don't, um, you're going to get sued to fucking oblivion over something like that. Or, you know, whoever knows what kind of criminal complaints. Like, people think that street justice is righteous and therefore righteous good. Well, if you want to say it's good because this guy got what he want, got deserved, which, by the way, we don't even know if it's true, but let's assume that it is true. Um, okay, you can say that, but now you have to accept the other side of the, co the, the coin, which comes with the cost. I don't know what those are going to be here, but it, dude, it, it's, just not, it's just not smart risk management. It's not. The one thing I will say is if you work long enough in bars, you get a little desensitized to this because I've also seen the other side of the equation where you, know, you get these awful fucking customers, man. I had one time I had to restrain my boss. This is true. He had a broken arm. Okay, he had a broken arm, and he it was his it was his good arm. So he had to serve drinks with his bad arm, and he was behind the bar. And you know he was slow because hello, imagine trying to make a drink with one hand and it's your bad hand. It's not going to be all that quick. And the guy asked for his change, and the change on the drink was something like seven cents. Like uh, it was like you know six ninety seven. Then our boss gave him seven or six ninety three. And my boss gave him $7. He took the seven pennies and he threw it in my boss's face. And I was standing right there. My boss nearly fucking jumped across the bar to, to choke this fucking guy. You mean to tell me if my boss had choked him, I would have felt even a little bad for him? Fuck that guy. I was almost hoping my boss would fucking strangle him and break his stupid yeah. ass neck. You know, there are a lot of just shitheads in these places that think that through drinking and hanging out and being social... They can just say and do whatever they want to people. I don't recommend what Joe Schilling did, but you know, if 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 what they're saying about him is true, are you asking me do I feel bad for that guy? No, I don't. I don't feel bad for him. It's just I, if I think Joe, you're right. If the last thing I'll say, if Joe was a, like a personal friend of mine, the only thing I'd say, BC, is, dude, you can't do shit like this. It is gonna blow up in your face in a way you can no longer control, and you're not gonna like what happens. Now, just to defend Joe Schilling with a little bit more of the facts, uh, the manager of the bar said that this is a regular customer who routinely causes problems, is always drunk as shit, 
and said that this guy was extremely intoxicated and had possibly made an improper remark about the girlfriend or wife of the male who had struck him, which caused the fight to escalate. Also, Schilling went on the record and said that uh, there was a racial remark about the, the busboy or waiter and that afterwards the staff, the entire staff, thanked him for doing that. So right. I'll look, say this, though. The- Hold on. If you're a bar owner and you keep letting this fuck in, it's also on you. Sorry. Yeah, Stop is, letting these know, assholes in. But I also understand, like, you know, for all we know, Schilling could have been intoxicated. And if if he felt like he was defending others and in the video, you could see the guy did come at him. It's I mean, look, Luke, the whole thing's a gray area. But to your intelligent points, and I do, if people want more on this topic, you gave like a 25 minute uh, rant about it. Uh, very educationally, by the way, uh, there's a lot to think about when you enter in stuff like this. So uh, we haven't heard that charges were filed yet, according to the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. But it is possible that the victim could. We'll see what happens. Finally, bit of news, Luke, an interesting fight for September 4th. Alexander Gustafson, the two-time or three-time, excuse me, UFC light heavyweight title challenger who seemingly has retired just as many times in recent years is back at 205 against Paul Craig, September 4th. Are you here, Luke, for Gus just pouring out the jug of whatever's left? If he's willing to do that, if he's willing to just, like, you know what? I didn't like Tyron's last fight in UFC because we went over it, right? Like, he didn't make the same mistakes from the three previous fights to that point. But, you know, Tyron, when you hear him talk about fights, is quite obviously cerebral and thoughtful about it and patient and smart. And he just wasn't those things in the Vicente Luque fight. But what he was was ferocious. What he was was like, you know what? Caution to the wind. Let's just fucking go. So it looked like an overcorrection in that sense. But, you know, you have to admire that he, to your point, I think you used the words at the time, BC, he went out on his shield, you know. I'm not necessarily looking for Gustafson to go out on his shield in a way where he's just not fighting up to his potential. But I will say, BC, this is not the fight to be risk-averse. This is not the fight to lay back. This is not the fight, yes, at first, if you want to be patient or whatever and watch out for a guard pulling because, you know, there's not a lot of 205ers who pull guard, but Paul Craig is one of them, and so far it's been pretty good for him. Okay, fine. But at some point in that fight, dude, Gustafson at one point, BC, true or false, had some of the best boxing in the division, you know, as far as MMA is concerned, I want to see that again. I want to see him get back to that and win or lose, okay, because Paul Craig's pretty good. But you better go in there and show us what you at least kind of used to be, and I'll I'll have nothing but praiseworthy things to say. Uh, He is 34 years old. It is something to remember. He has been through the wars. He has not looked the same as late. He had the the one-up to heavyweight in his last bout last July in which he was submitted by Fabricio Verdum. He is currently on a three-fight losing skid, all three by stoppage. He was submitted by Anthony Smith and, of course, stopped by John Jones in the rematch. Look, I think we can all agree that he hasn't been the same since that gap. May 2017 was his last win when he stopped Glover Teixeira in round five. He had won a decision against Blahovich the fight before. Since that point, I know he had injuries. He just hasn't been the same. So it's like it's early enough where he could still figure out how to have like a – I use Shogun as a great example, Luke. He hasn't been the same guy for like eight years. But he's been like pretty decent for, for like old wash guy where he can like get wins and be a, a gatekeeper of sorts. If Gustafson still wants to do this and he can he can be that, then go and do that. You are young enough. But – you know, you're not going to last with four straight stoppage losses, though, just at the same time. He needs a big win here. All right, Luke, we'll see if, um, you know, if he comes up short against Paul Craig. And, Luke, you know, I, I want to have a talk with you, candidly, on the air here, but I think the people need to hear something like this, you know, about coming up short in the bedroom. 
It's perfectly okay, Luke. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with a tournament on the line. The best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best free-throw shooters sometimes miss and lose to their gray and large co-hosts. So if you feel like you come up in the bedroom <laughs> short sometimes, Luke, and if it's bothering you, I want you to know there are options. You can go to GetRoman.com slash combat with a K right now. You get a free online evaluation and an ongoing care for ED all from the comfort and privacy of your home. We are talking erectile dysfunction on this show. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you for free. With two-day shipping, straightforward and discreet. It's not going to say, hey, here to fix your dong on the, on the package. Although, how gross is this? I mean, we're already doing, you know, ball ads. So why not just keep that going? But uh, Luke... Let's get started here. Go to GetRoman.com slash combat. Complete your online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. GetRoman.com slash combat. You get $15 off your first month. There's a straightforward way to take care of your ED, and it's GetRoman.com slash combat. $15 savings for the first month. It's worth it. You got to keep Luke, happy wife or husband, whatever you got to do, is a happy life, Luke. You know that. Bro, you freaking know that. Okay, don't be washed if you don't have to. That's really my that's my new statement for. I mean, look at this, Luke. Don't be washed if you don't have to. Right. Will it help me last longer than five minutes? Because otherwise I don't need it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we can leave that where it is, Luke. Uh, dead, not dead wrong, but dead gross. But speaking of that, Luke, we do have a segment every Friday morning. Combat at gmail.com is your address to send in your fan submissions and also tell us what we got wrong if we're going to speak into a microphone for upwards of six to 12 hours per week sometimes we're going to offend you sometimes we're going to be incorrect this gives you the chance to watch us straddle the l and sit down this one's called dead wrong Uh, 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 uh. Uh, i'm big meech call me Larry Hoover. Luke, the first dead wrong is coming right at me. John Nash had already outed me on Twitter, but Mr. KK, whoever the hell that is, let's keep two Ks and not three on that, sir. Yeah, uh, it always, get, it always gets weird at the ballpark when the pitcher gets the third K and they got to put it backwards. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, episode 171, Brian references Meryl Streep in Fatal Attraction and The Natural. It's actually Glenn Close. Luke, we already went over it, but I'll still take the L. I was All dead right. wrong. Very good. Very good. Uh, Number two, Seth sliding in. This is a two-for-one, but mostly on BC. On Wednesday's episode, June 23rd, Luke challenged BC to name five South American capitals. BC said Quito was the capital of Peru, to which Luke agreed. No, No, I didn't. No, he didn't. He said Quito. I don't think I said that. No, he didn't. No, no, no. I actually went back and listened to it. You didn't say that at all. That's not true. Lima, of course, is the capital of Peru, but you just said Quito, and I let it slide. I didn't say it was for Peru. All right, he's saying, however, this is dead wrong. While Quito was the ancient capital of Peru, its current capital is, in fact, Lima. I thought Quito was in Ecuador. Where the hell are we right it's now? Quito, Quito is the capital of Ecuador. That's right. So this guy, Seth, is a big bag of dicks right now, right? Yeah, I don't recall. I mean, well, I'll go back, but he needs to give a timestamp where you said it's the capital of Peru because I don't yeah, think yeah. you ever said that. Put a ring on it. Put a, put a timestamp on it, bro, okay? Seriously. Uh, also, Luke, we got a lot of people reaching out here. Hansel? I don't know where Gretel is. Uh, Fod and Julian are coming at us on episode 173 at, a, at one hour and 33 minutes. 
when discussing Pettis' last fight with UFC, Mr. Stay Frosty said that Pettis beat Cowboy when it was Alex Morono. BC then nodded his head, and I went on to type this email. Greetings from Jamaica, you donks. Best regards. The guy with the haircut, Luke Roasted. And P.S. He says, Luke, I do F. So this is somebody who's coming at you as retribution. But, Luke, I did. Uh, um, yes, he did beat. Well, he beat Cerrone in the fight before that, yes. But also then I, I, I read off his resume shortly after. And we, I can dead wrong our graphics guy who just spelt it Marino, like Brandon Marino on our lower third there. That was I saw. I caught that. Moreno. I caught that in real time. All right. You're dead wrong, gaff. Okay. Um, in this one, Luke, I'm going to take the L and I'm disappointed in myself. Uh, Sean writing in. Hi, writing in to contribute to dead wrong. On Wednesday, June 30th at 108.51, Brian claimed that in 1986, Ted Arcidi was helped by Jesse Ventura to lift 755 pounds in an attempt under pro wrestling shenanigans to break the world record. That is incorrect. It was actually the wrestler Dino Bravo that Jesse Ventura helped lift, and the weight limit, Luke, in this case was 715, and it was not 1986. It was the 1988 WWF Royal Rumble. Thanks, Sean Small of Toronto, Ontario. Luke, I'm going to take the L, and I am disappointed with myself. They did, WWF did bring in Ted Arcidi in 1985 as a wrestler. At the time, he did hold the world record in the bench press at 7.05. And because of that, Luke, they went on to make Dino Bravo, the Canadian wrestler and strongman, a thing a couple years later and tried to have him go out there and, you know, quote-unquote, break the, the, the bench press world record by trying 7.15, and they had the shenanigans of Jesse Ventura and the pinky pressure. I will take the L. I got those uh, strong men wrong. Luke, have you ever Bro. heard how how badly Dino Bravo got killed by the Montreal mob? Have you ever heard that whole story? No, I've never heard. I will say, though, that I have found that among rest, pro wrestling fans, there's a level of, like, uh, historical obsession about them. Like, getting the details right. I mean, getting details right about history is important no matter what, but they seem like... They'll do that shit at gunpoint. You know what I mean? Well, look, there's nerds in every genre, right? Yeah, true. You're you're like a philosophy nerd. Mm, I'm just a fucking loser. <laughs> oh, come, Luke, I mean, I'm I'm beating down on you, but I don't want you to self-loathe. That's my job, okay? You have to believe in yourself, Luke, okay? No, I do. Get I just, Roman, you know, bro. My back hurts Get- because I got this fucking pinched nerve, and it's just bothering me. All right, GetRoman.com slash combat can fix a few of those things. Luke, uh, also, uh, during the Wheel of Death segment in episode 174, our friend Tim slides in and says, BBC asked Luke to pick an automatic trilogy between two opponents who had not previously fought. Rules aside, at 116.26, Luke asks, would I want to see Max and Dustin mix it up two more times? Insinuating... That two additional matchups between the two yep. fighters would sum to a trilogy. That's dead wrong. Two more fights between those two would sum to four total fights yep. as they fought at both 145 and 155. They faced off for the first time in 2012 at UFC 143. Blah, blah, blah. He's got a lot more details that we already know. And he says, Luke, my love for you, both of you, is as deep as Brock Lesnar's teeth are hard to look at. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please Google Brock Lesnar's teeth and give me any theory as to why they are that way because I'm at a loss for words. That fucker's, Have a got, great that fucker's got the George Washington wooden teeth, bro. Oh, boy. I have not done the research. I'm usually focused on that penis tattoo he's got on his chest, Luke. Um, do you know, by the way, Luke, I did a ESPN Cheap Heat 
like live show over SummerSlam weekend a few years ago with Peter Rosenberg and Stat Guy Greg, and we had Paul Heyman come out. You know him; he's the pro wrestling manager of Brock Lesnar. Mm -hmm. And I, in front of the whole crowd, was like, "You know, if you're such a great advisor, why did you not let him know that that sword looks a lot like male genitalia?" And look, he went on to berate me for ten full minutes, including detailed uh, details about my history of purchasing hookers. It was a wild live show, Luke. Wild. Wild. That sounds that sounds like a show I'll never watch. Uh, Luke, I will say that I tend to forget that the first Poirier Max Holloway fight ever happened. I always forget that it ever happened. Yeah, I forgot that too. So that's a very fair dead wrong, but it is what it is. All right, one more dead wrong before we get to the homework here, Luke. Hi guys, it didn't even bother dead wronging Brian last week. I was so sure others would, but it slipped through the net. On episode 171, he was talking about the decline of Marlon Moraes and listing his recent defeats. He spoke about the Jose Aldo fight saying, I actually thought he won that fight. Well, indeed, so did the judges. Marais won the fight. Yeah, bro, I know that. I'm saying I'm one of the rare people who actually thought Marais won the fight because Aldo uh. left the back door open in round three by not pushing the pace. He says, I can't give you the exact timing I'm afraid of as for some reason known only to Capital Stormers in the MK comment section, Episode 171 has been taken down from YouTube. Still loving the show, guys, and actually got my merch delivered to France yesterday. So on next week's fan submissions, I'm coming out. Or I'm coming on. Excuse me. Sorry. Not coming out. Coming on in a major way. Keep up the good work. Highlight of my very dull, washed, old guy existence. David Appleton, a.k.a. the French guy who Weinstein the crap out of the girls with a snooker cue a few years ago, my only ever claim to fame. Luke, please tell me you remember that. Please. Oh, I remember that sexual predator. I was like, when Bill Cosby, <laughs> when Bill Cosby got let out of jail, I'm like, is that the French guy with the snooker thing? I think they let Cosby out to put that guy in. So, uh... Shout out to Dave, good old Davey boy there, Davey Apples. Uh, wow, I, lo I love our people, Luke. I really do love our people. That's great. All right, Luke, it is time for a segment that we are bringing back this week. Why? Because there's not much going on this weekend. Although, just a heads up, we will have a show for people on Monday, July 5th. I know a lot of people, you'll be you know, putting some dogs on the grill and celebrating our country. We will have a show that will set the stage for all things UFC 264. But, Luke, right now is homework review and what you chose was the 2018 action thriller from Indonesia called The Night Comes For Us. It is available now on Netflix if you missed it. And, and seriously, if you missed it, pause the show now and go watch it so you can hear what we're about to say. Luke, I want to give you the floor before we get into it on why you chose this. Why I chose it. Um, well, I had seen it before, but it had been several years. And if you actually go on my personal YouTube channel, you can see a review of it I did there. But I wanted to see what it would be like upon a subsequent viewing. And also because I knew you had not seen it. Here, here's basically where I come from on this. Um, for the folks out there who have seen The Raid or even The Raid 2, it's a lot of the same characters, uh, or I should say the same actors. But something you got to understand. Um, a few things. One, I don't see how there's any way to argue that martial arts movies today are not just better in almost every way than martial arts movies of the past. Now, they're a little bit different. You could talk about what like Enter the Dragon was in the 70s, and that's a little bit more of like actual plot-based, narrative-driven, um, uh, you know, 
proper filmmaking. Which, you know, this one, the plot's a little thin. I think we can all agree. So it's not in that sense as good. But <laughs> yeah. in terms it's of... the only thing thin in this whole movie, look, really. Yeah. I mean, everything else everything else is top, gratuitous yeah. AF. Yeah. So, but here's why I like it. One, um, or why I picked it, is one, you didn't see it. Two, I'm of the belief that because of what these guys are doing in Indonesia, they have completely revitalized the genre. I feel like there was a long time in the late 90s, early 2000s where... Remember that MMA movie that had like Tito Ortiz and Randy Couture with Jet Li and shit in it? And it was like, it's fucking terrible and whatnot. These guys have absolutely found a way to just make these movies in this genre so much better than you could ever imagine. And 3BC, here's something I just didn't even appreciate until I, I, there's this YouTube channel. It's now defunct, but this guy was explaining what made Jackie Chan movies so good. And there was a lot of things he pointed to, but one of them was... That when you watch Jackie Chan's action scenes, you'll notice the camera never cuts. Now, it will cut eventually when they have to change scenes or something. But when two guys are fighting, the punch fucking lands. The guy flips and falls, and you watch it. If you watch American action movies, especially from the late 80s and early 90s, shit, all the way through the 90s, you'll note that when a guy throws the punch, that will be one shot. And then when it lands, it'll cut to the other person getting hit. Or when they throw, the throw itself will be one shot, and then the cut will be to them landing. They actually cut in the middle of the action to make it to make the the, the action possible. The Asian style of cinema doesn't do that at all. They put the camera and then they fix it, which requires a much greater degree of ability to pull off action than simply cutting it will allow. Plus, it makes it just much better. So you take all those factors together. And you put the guys who are at the vanguard of this movement, as far as I can tell, in this. It's free on Netflix. I said, hey, let's give it a shot. That's why I picked it. All right, here we go, Luke. Um, you know, just, just, to, just to back it up, I love action movies. I love cheesy action movies. I love, I thought, I thought I loved gratuitous action movies. So, Luke, you know, I love Commando, which is so over the top in the, okay. in the, in the Schwarzenegger genre. But, like, Luke, what do I love? I love the scene in the shed when the guy takes the machete to the nuts. I even play that for my kids, and we rewind it, and we just revel in it, right? You know, I watched Van Damme. I love the bone-breaking that Seagal brings to the table. But, Luke, some people also like adult movies. And adult movies with dialogue and plot, but a little bang-bang is good for them. Then there's other people, Luke. You may be one of these people. They like (laughs) gangbangs. They like... Adult films with violence and slavery and just, you know, I mean, look, the best thing I can say before breaking down this movie is, have you ever eaten at that Tejas de Brazil, like, meat house that they have? It's a chain. Yeah. Have you ever eaten it's at like, that? It's like they, uh, it's like epic portions and shit like that, right? So I went there. Went there in Vegas once. All, you know, had a great time. It's expensive as balls. But, dude, it's top shelf Freaking meat. Everything you taste is unbelievable. You know when you're going in there that I'm getting gratuitous. I'm getting, I forget that salad bar. Like, who, why is there even a salad bar in that place? There's like 58 kinds of meat that they bring out. And you're just gorging on meat until you want to kill yourself. That's what that place is. But I don't think you can go back to that place ever again, Luke. I think it's like one and done. That's where I'm at with this movie. And I guess this genre, maybe this is similar to where we are different when it comes to music and metal. You know, I really respect certain great metal albums and have had, you know, runs with Metallica or or Megadeth or whatever. But I'm not going into the abortion eat flesh area like you are, Luke. I'm not going into like the, you know, 
Hail Satan chapter of that music either. This movie, Luke, is like, it would be an understatement to call it gratuitous AF. But I'm so torn about it because there are elements to this movie that I'm glad you introduced me to. They're next level. They are freaking genius. The way that they shot these scenes, and I'm not somebody who ever, ever cared about cinematography until like the last two years when I kind of got back into movies. And I like things that, that move me like 1917 or, or some of the inventive stuff those, those brothers are doing with the un uncut gems and some of the movies they're doing. I mean, I, I'm starting to get it, so to speak. But I'm not a movie guy, yet this stood out for just being immaculately shot. And Luke, it's tough for me to make the negative statements I'm about to make because I love shitty action movies and I love gratuity. But I kind of like when you build to the gratuity. I kind of like when there's that one or two or three moments per movie where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that. That was crazy. Maybe that's the difference between you and me. You know what my favorite horror movies are, Luke? The ones where there's the endless suspense but the suspense is the hook, not the gratuity and the grime and the devil and all that. The suspense that anything could happen is there. Some people like softcore, Luke. It just is what it is. Dude, nobody this prefers Red Shoe Diaries over Bang Bros. Nobody. Yeah, nobody well, prefers that. There's levels to, to that. And apparently there's levels to this, Luke. I'm not going to say that by the end of it I wasn't entertained, that I wasn't impressed by certain elements. But I will say as a 42-year-old male, Luke... This was hard to get through. This was fucking <laughs> gratuitous as shit, Luke. This was like, hold on, what, like, just to test here's you, my problem just to with test it, you, just to test you, just to test you. Tell here's me one, tell me, it. tell me one scene, and people are at this point already know. If you don't want spoilers now, you got to leave. Tell me one scene that was too much for you. Well, I will say there were there were four times that I almost turned off the movie and stopped watching. <laughs> And look, that would take a lot for me, seriously. But I actually felt like I would be the biggest puss to come back to you and be like, all right, Luke, let's break down this movie that I only saw 30 minutes of because as a 42-year-old man, I can't finish it. No, Luke, I come from a factory town, all right? I'm not going to be like, I ain't arm wrestling Jake the cameraman. I'm not nobody's mule. No, Luke, I'll play the mule if that means good content because I do it all for the nookie, motherfucker. But I will tell you this, Luke, that um, the first half of the movie is just one long gratuitous action scene. And it's hard, again, to come out and be like, kind of wanted more plot. Like when the point of this movie, I get it, is to be gratuitous and gory and show right. off how they can do it different, better, next level than anybody else. But Luke, you also have to have highs and lows. What makes a great pro wrestling match? You don't know, but people that do know, knows that it's the highs and the lows, it's the builds. You know, what makes a great song or a 30 minute, you know, jam band, Grateful Dead, Allman Brothers, whatever. Like, what makes a great jam? There's high moments, there's low moments. Luke, I'm not saying that what this movie needed to do was bring things down so it's basically an Indonesian Fast and the Furious. Because that's not what they're trying to do. And that wouldn't move the genre in another direction. I am saying that what turned me away, what, like, I love Luke, the meat, the meat, when they went to the meat house, you know what I'm talking about, right? The, the, like, the butcher shop. So Ito goes to the butcher shop. I, I could handle that whole thing. It had crossed over the line a few times in that scene, but I could handle it, Luke, if that's one scene. What do we always talk about with Sagal movies? We go the pool scene and Out for Justice at the pool tables, right? Or we go the the, the liquor store scene in, in Hard to Kill. Or whatever. Like, you know, like there, there's like those scenes that are insane, but you build toward those. This was like 40 minutes of the same 
ridiculous scene where I'm just like, is this good? Do I really have 90 minutes of this, Luke? It was inventive ways to kill people. It was inventive ways to film it. But, bro, it was enough of shock factor that it was over the line. It's like, you know, Luke, I get how you look at my love for certain things like experimental jazz fusion, where they can just have like a guitarist and a drummer and a freaking bassist and, and some cello player or whatever, and they just kind of play the same thing for 25 minutes and they're changing. To me, I could hear Jimmy. There's layers to that. To you, it's just like, the fuck are we doing here, bro? Somebody gonna start singing or screaming about Satan soon to a microphone? I guess to me, Luke, this was, um, this tested my willingness to, to sit through and watch this because it was so, it was so fucking gross, Luke. It really was. I mean, it really, really was, Luke. Okay. Um, can I tell you first, before I throw it back to your response, um, there wasn't a lot of lines in this movie and I think it needed more dialogue. Okay. It didn't have to be cheesy, fast and the furious trash talk, but the best line was when the three women toward the end got in the same room and you're gonna have the fight. The good woman against the two bad ones, the, the two lesbians that mm -hmm. they called them, whatever, okay? That line about you're gonna regret wearing white, I mean, just perfectly timed, best moment of the movie. Their fight was incredible, especially the fight with the chick with the blonde hair, with the shaved head. I mean, that's just, it was well filmed. It was just brutal. It was, it was just great. There were a lot though, Luke, and you can tell me if I'm really, really picking straws here, but there were a lot of fight scenes, including the first one when Arian is in that club with the dude who beat up the girl, right? There's a lot of fight scenes that I felt were too much of, it's basically one versus 10, but each of the 10 are gonna take turns standing in line coming at him. I mean, can we have like, can we get a little more intelligent with the way we present this, Luke? Am I asking for too much there? When, when they walk in and it's like two against 28, like I've seen Rambo. I know one guy can beat a whole country. I've seen it before, okay? But that guy had a machine gun. And hand to hand, like, wouldn't they be overwhelmed eventually, Luke? Am I am I pulling straws here? Defend this movie, please. Uh, I just feel like you're missing what makes it special. Now you're right. I mean, at some point, the gratuity on this one and the violence and the gore, it's gonna turn off a certain kind of person. I couldn't, for example, ask my sister or something to watch this movie and expect her to sit through the entire portion of it. That's the first thing I'd say, and I understand your point. I'd also say. You know, it sounds like you're not very curious, but if you are curious, like what's the better version of this movie? And the reason why I didn't pick it is I should have picked it in the sense that it was better, but I didn't want people to have to pay for it, which is The Raid. The Raid is the one that kind of set the tone on all of this. And it actually has a much better plot and a much better plot device where they have to, the guys basically have to go through a tower floor by floor to get where they want to go. And at each level, there's new bosses they have to beat. It's just perfectly done. But I think the things that you're missing here that I would say makes this movie very, very special is a few things. One, you got to understand some of the culture around this. Now, I don't pretend in any way to be any kind of an expert on Indonesian cinema or Indonesia generally. But what I would say is having watched a few of these, including some of the ones, uh, the smaller movies with some of these stars built in. Dude, I guess these folks at Indonesia, they love grimy ass movies. The Raid really excels in this one. I don't excels. want to see their porn, Luke. I don't want to see their adult No, no, not, not grimy in that sense. But I mean, they just love these like sepia-toned rooms with guys wearing dark clothing and there's sweat everywhere and it's hot and... Uh, it's kind of, you know, as I mentioned before, it's like dark with neon lighting and, and people are hiding in corners. They love that kind of thing. And so this film excels, I think, in, in honoring some of the expectations of the audience for, I think, who it was created for. 
So there's that. The second thing that you missed, and I, I missed this the first time, so I decided to watch this the second time, BC, with headphones on. Part of the reason why the fight scenes work to the extent that they work for the audience is that the sound design is incredible. And you really saw that when Ito fought the good woman when she first introduced herself. You can hear him gurgling when the rope is around his neck, or you can hear when someone applies a choke, you can hear something stretch, or when the guys in the final fight scene would run into the, the steel post and you hear the dong. Uh, if you listen with headphones on, you can imagine if you just watched it on mute, it wouldn't be as good. But with the way that they've done it, it's it's actually brilliant. And, that, and to your point, BC, I went and I watched what's the uh, Seagal movie with Gary Busey? I forget I forget which one. Under Siege. Under Siege one. Under yeah. Siege so I, one, I went yeah. and watched it, and you know that's a movie from long ago, so it's not very fair. But like the sound design is fucking pathetic relative to what you yeah. get nowadays. So you've got these guys who have a very unique style of directing where they don't cut the camera very often. You have incredible prosthetics. You have a, there's no limits on the violence and it's only about creative possibilities. Then you add in the sound design and the way the camera moves constantly in other ways where they don't cut, but they'll shift rapidly, almost like robotic. Dude, let me explain something to you. I watch a lot of action movies and I watch a lot of gory action movies. Nobody is doing it better in any way if what you care about is the cinematography of fight scenes than these Indonesian folks. They are the fucking kings of the castle by far. And I really feel like if you care about that kind of stuff or, or you, it speaks to you rather, I don't know where else you're supposed to go with this. I think the last thing I'd say is, dude, like on some level, it's pretty gory. It's gory in a comical way. But like... I just love how they ratchet it up over the course of, of the movie. You seem to think it's one long continuous one. There are pauses, and you're right. The plot is, is, is weak here. It's, a very, you know, it's not designed to have a good plot. But to me, it's incremental in its violence. And I will say one more thing, aside from just the fact that you know, they built to that big scene between Arian and Ito in the last fight scene, and, and these guys are impossibly durable and all that shit. I love how guns play a role in some ways. But in other ways, it's all either hand-to-hand -hand or unique weapons, and there rarely is a mixing of the two. They're usually pretty distinct, which I think brings the fight scenes to life in better ways. And I'll also say this. I used to be the kind of guy who would watch action movies, and I'd be like, dude, what are these women doing in here? You know they can't punch a dude like that. And my view of that has not changed. We have weight classes and gender-distinct fighting for a reason, but they have found very, what's the word, credible? I don't know, interesting no, and true. unique ways to bring women into the fight scenes. And yeah, you got to suspend disbelief. But if you do, they fucking rock it. Uh, their well, when characters they have a knife, are... When they have a knife shaped like a curved dick, I mean, it's, they're violent with that. That's a, real, that's a real kind of knife for gutting. I mean, that's a, that's, a real, that's a real thing. So my point being is this. If you watch The Raid 2, there's this chick who looks like a teenage Japanese schoolgirl, and her weapon of choice is two fucking hammers. Now, imagine what she does with those fucking hammers to people. It's like unbelievable, the shit they come up with, which to me gives you a wide array of possibilities of what kinds of characters and dynamic interaction and blows up gender roles, but at the same time kind of redefines them in certain ways. I think if you are looking for something a little bit dialed back, a little bit more palatable, a broader movie, there are other ways you could have gone. But if you like what I like, which is show me who is doing martial arts action. And by the way, the difference between martial arts movies and action movies, they have blurred it with this stuff. It used to be kind of distinct, right? It'd be the ninja movies in the 80s and then the action movies on the other side. Now they're exactly the same, only because these guys are so incredible at what they are doing 
if you're into that kind of thing, which I am very much into it, this is the golden age of movies. This is not as good as The Raid, but it's fucking good. Well, let me say this again. Let me double down. So the, the cinematography and the tr and the tricks and the way they present, I mean, it's, it's next level, Luke. And what it has avoided is there's no like Matrix style fighting. There's no like somebody hanging in midair and doing impossible things. They've, they've brought it to a somewhat re realistic level. It's just gory as shit. And I'll respect that. Um, you know, I could always argue again that the, the fighting style of these mobs against one guy is just stupid as hell. And I can also argue, Luke, that the durability that these people are showing. Yeah, the durability. Like dude, the one guy, who was the guy, I forget his name, but like he was the guy in the, uh, the initial apartment who Bobby. took Bobby. Bo is, is no, 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 like, no, 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 not Bobby. Bobby's friend who made it out, but then got shot in the parking garage. They yes, had this guy uh, at point blank range with like 10 AK-47s. Fatih. Fatih, Fatih. And then they had to put a bullet in him later. I will agree with that. But I will disagree with you, BC, about, like, you know, one guy versus a mob. You're right that, like, they don't go exactly like that. But if you pay attention enough, what you'll see is one guy beating the fuck out of one guy, and he'll get away with it. Then he'll go to the next. But then a third guy comes and slashes his back or hits him with a metal pipe or knocks him over. They get enough of the second wave guy to make it kind of work. All right, we're going to get to our scores, and I also have three DM slides from people about this movie I want to get to. But, Luke, I want to hit up. You mentioned comedic part of it, and I think that's the difference for me. Why can I get into Seagal doing stuff like this or, or other people? And there's many. Maybe because there's less. So, again, when you build to that one, two, or three moments, the moment lasts and stands out rather than 57 moments in a row. But two, Luke, I want a recent movie I watched. Did you see the Vince Vaughn Cell Block 99 movie that came out on I Netflix? I have. Or yeah, Prime it's a bit of a B movie, but yes, I've seen it. So that thing is like gratuitously violent, but I yes. think the difference is Luke, to me, to me, there's a, com a comedic underlining, just kind of like in the Seagal movies, that we're in on the joke, along with Seagal, along with Vince Vaughn. I didn't feel that in this, and maybe that's what you loved about it, that it felt legitimate and sincere and not funny in that regard. Now you can still laugh at the gratuity, but maybe it was that lack of like, we're all in on the joke together, that made me uncomfortable because I, I mentioned that like four times I wanted to turn it off. That surprised me, Luke. It surprised me that I was involuntarily going like, yo, this is not what I signed up for. That happened four separate times. So in some ways it was like, it was my inner compass being like, Luke's pretty fucked up. I don't think I want to go down this road with him. Maybe I'll just talk <laughs> martial arts and let him uh, have his own things going on there. Um, I'll, Here's where I'll give it credit. Lack of a plot, not great. The actual plot, though, I did like it. The whole idea that there's a, you know, an organized crime gang running the drug trade and they've got six elite, you know, sort of uh, police in the midst of that, mm -hmm. that, that run the show and, and that one person has turned on them and now has to change. I, I got all that. It made sense. What they succeeded in through the roof, Luke, was presenting badass characters. Between Ito and Arian, the two main, you know, friends and enemies in this the, the evil bad guy, I have no idea what his name was. The Bobby is just a tour de force. So that's the only real comedy I think I took out of it. But to what you said earlier, strong female characters. Luke, the only thing I didn't like about the, the good female is that I don't even think they developed enough of a storyline as to her true intent and why she totally. was there. But the other ones were just so badass and so well presented as legitimate female killers that, yeah, it was great. I loved the final f female fight scene. I loved, to a large degree, the meat house killing scene. I did love the whole thing, like the bombs on the side of the wall. Like, there were a lot of little things I thought was very ingenious in, in that regard. 
Luke, somebody DM me about this movie. I wish I had their name here. I want to ask you about that final fight scene between okay. Ito and Arian. Some people have said to me, how does Luke trash talk pro wrestling so bad? Thought about when that. that final, when that final fight scene is essentially a pro wrestling match. Like, you know, we have pro wrestling matches where there's like weapons and there's like that. Luke, there's so much pro wrestling in that final fight scene. Thought about including that, yeah submission attempts and changes and all this stuff that people are like, how does Luke not realize that pro wrestling, which can be goofy as shit, I get it, is like the live theater version of cheesy totally. over-the-top action movies, Luke. For some reason, that I, 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 I'm tr I, tr I thought about that. First of all, that scene was a little bit long for me. You yes. know, so so like uh, that, even I was like, okay, guys, kind of wrap it up here a little bit. I like more the one versus the big group you know where that one scene where it's 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 set up in that final warehouse where Ito has the bag of uh, uh, pool balls, you know, in his hand, and he's just fucking turning people's brains into mincemeat. That's one of my. Those that I, I like a little bit more of that to be candid with you. So partly it's like even that scene was a little bit like a little bit tiresome. Tiresome is the wrong word, but I was ready for it to wrap up earlier. The second part is I don't I can't quite explain it. I thought about that because I was watching. I'm like this is a little pro wrestling ish. There's something lost for me, and I'm not telling anyone else to feel this way. You're just asking me how I feel. There's something lost for me between the careful, brilliant, perfect execution that a movie can pull off through multiple takes. Um, and obviously the level of gore that they're able to show, it's obviously fake, but you know they can do they can go a little bit further with it in this particular case with prosthetics and everything else. And it loses something. It becomes kind of fucking goofy to me when they go and do the live play version. And I recognize that we're talking about a difference in degree, not so much in kind. I understand that. All I can say is when I make the switch from one to the other, I just don't feel anything. I don't. I can't. I can't quite tell. And I, you're like, oh, what about the ones where it's barbed wire matches and Cactus Jack and all that shit? Yeah, I've seen those too, dude. So uh, something is lost along the way in translation okay. that I just can't explain. Luke, would you say, I want to ask you before I ask your score, either the best moment or what's the standout to me? I'd say to me, the best scene slash moment is, comes in the final fight scene, which I did think took too long, when Ito bites down on that uh, razor blade. Ugh. It equally <laughs> is, impo is it, it's equally painful to watch. You're impressed by it. It goes on too long. You're like, just fucking pull it out already. Like, I'll say they succeeded. That almost brought me all the way back around to where I'm like, okay, I don't ever want to watch this again, but I did. I guess I'm happy. I, I It's like a, a really crazy roller coaster where you're like, I almost threw up four times, but I survived, bro. So that was my moment. What is your standout moment of the movie in that regard? Um, I, my favorite, it's not my favorite fight scene, but it's my favorite moment in a fight scene. When the the women are fighting and the one woman who has the thing that that she can twirl and it's got like a razor but it's also like a choking mechanism, when the good woman I forget her name she gets it to go on the woman who initially was the bad one and then she kicks the air conditioner out of the window, <laughs> and it slices off all of her fingers because she was trying to hold the razor wire here and it still goes all the way through. When her fingers fell off, when her hands fell, I was like, holy fucking shit. Whoever thought of that detail, you are sick and twisted, and God bless you. Because there, like a lot of times, you know, a guy gets his arm broken. You're like, okay, that's gory, but I've seen dudes get their arms broken in movies before. 
But then there's just a level of like dementedness to it. You're like, shit, man. Even I didn't like. I told you when the girl was in the back seat with Fatsy, and the guy tries to come back, and she just this little five year old girl just starts knifing this fucking guy in the throat. I'm like, wow, bro. Whoever made the call on the script to do that, God bless you. It's moments right. like that. Moments like that. You are said, kind God of, bless you. I want to hit that as a stumbling block to close here. Hold on, hold on. One more you, point I'd like to make that you, that you, I think you lost a little bit of. Your, okay. One thing you should never lose sight of is, is like metal, martial arts action movies can be widely different depending on where you go and what they want to achieve. You mentioned this was missing any sort of comedic element. 100% true. The king, and I mean this sincerely, the king, and frankly the pioneer of this. Because you go back and you watch Bruce Lee movies. All Bruce Lee movies are... For the most part, very, very serious, very, you know, the king of that genre. How do you blend comedy and how do you blend martial arts? It's Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan and also BC, I mentioned, he was one of the ones that didn't, the camera does not cut when he's, and he does all his own stunts and everything like that. So he was taking, I think what I would say is the better parts of this movie that you would have appreciated. And then he brings in all the comedy with it on top. Dude, nobody, nobody in the game mixes comedy and action like Jackie Chan. Salute to the GOAT. Okay, it's funny you say that because I'm so underwatched on anything Jackie Chan. Like I've seen Ugh. a few, like I saw You've like, seen the Rumble in the Bronx? One. Dude, and my wife for some reason doesn't like any like action or, or even fighting in general she just loves jackie chan movies i know like there's been some crossover that have been like cleaned up for families but uh maybe i should get into that genre a little bit more you mentioned the girl luke i think that was a, the major stumbling block there were you mentioned the word demented as well there were points where i wanted to turn off the movie because i felt like it was just too far down the road of just straight evil with no like rest period or no like come up luke i feel really bad for whoever the actress was that played that young child how is does she have parents in real life how did they allow her to act in this movie because this was some of the most demented and dark shit that she was like right in the middle of and it's not like i had fear that they were gonna do shit on her because I, I didn't think they'd go to that level and i probably would have turned it off if they did but she's close enough including killing a few guys or maybe one whatever i lost count where i'm just like dude this you, she you can't have children in this movie not in this 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 close of an important role, like where like the, the knife was coming right by her head when she's hiding in the closet. Were you, did that actually add to your enjoyment? Cause it took away from it for me a lot. Uh, I guess I wasn't bothered by it. I, I tend to think that like, again, dude, I, I, I want to be very careful about this. I'm not saying that this is true, but I would want to talk to the filmmakers and have a better understanding of Indonesian cinema and Indonesian culture. Cause I have a feeling they might have somewhat different attitudes about that, but I don't know that to be sure. And so if anyone does, please write us at morningcombat at gmail.com. Luke, what is your score on a 10 point must system here for the movie? The night comes for us. Well, again, I think many of the things you pointed out as flaws, I, I don't argue with you at all. I think there's a lot that has to be said. Certainly, this this movie should come with a parental advisory sticker. Maybe I'm not really, but I'm saying, you know, definitely if you're a parent and you got a kid who's a little bit on the the edge of what kind of movies you're showing them, maybe let this one marinate a little bit until they're a little bit older. But for me, for the kinds of things I'm looking for, and what I'm looking for is I want to see the best kind of action and I want to see the highest kind of stakes. For me, this movie delivers big. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. I loved it. It's not as wow. good as The Raid. The Raid is the gold standard in this genre for a lot of different reasons. But for me, man, this one delivers. Every time I watch it, I love this movie. Look, I really struggle with a score because I'm trying to be fair, but I also was like so taken aback. But then I realized 
that was the point. Like, you're supposed to be taken aback by it, right? That's right. That's so right. So I settled, uh, and I really actually gave this legitimate thought. I settled on 5.5. I oh. greatly respect the cinematic qualities. And again, I have enough of a history watching even some gory stuff that it's not like I'm a, you know, a, a pussy. Although you can listen to my analysis and be like, no, BC, I've seen that movie 25 times. How could you be like that? I, I just think there was enough that I loved and enough that I hated where I'm going to come almost right in the middle there and say, it is brilliantly done for what it's trying to do, but it's also a, a gross gangbang where it's like, <laughs> I'd be fine with with like two guys and a girl. Like I don't, I don't, I don't need like you know. As I long as they're not talking. Yet. Yeah, please. All right, Luke. Quickly, got a couple of DMs here. That I want to. These are questions kind of aimed at you from Michael Stetz, who's a longtime follower of our show. Love MK and love that you're reviewing The Night Comes for Us. Can you please discuss how incredible Joe Taslam is? Luke, he plays Ito, the main character. Yeah. He's been in so many, great mixel, uh, so many great martial arts movies like The Raid, among others. Most recently, he played Sub-Zero in the new Mortal Kombat. And he's right. tremendous as Lee Yang in the Warrior series. Really looking forward to this episode. Best Michael Stetz. Luke, uh, do you have any other history here on Joe Taslim, and can you speak to his badassery? Yeah, he's fucking awesome, which is actually kind of interesting about this movie, BC. And I, again, I might get dead wrong for this, but I, I, if my memory serves me, of the movies I've seen him in, not always, but he's usually the bad guy. And in fact, the other guy who was sort of the bad slash good guy, Eco, I, I can't pronounce his last name, Weiss, I'm not sure how you say it. Um, uh, he played Arian in this movie. He's usually the good guy. What was interesting about this movie, if you guys know these characters, or at least the characters that these guys play, I should say, they kind of did a reversal. Um, and so Joe played a good So I was actually happy to see it because he's normally... Like, remember the scene, the faces he was making in that scene where he was beating up the guys before he fought Arian and he had blood and he was looking up? That's normally the face he's making as a bad guy. This time he was able to kind of turn it around. At least... No one was really a good guy in this movie, BC. He had kind of been a bad guy who turned good versus his friend who was a bad guy or a good guy who turned bad. But you get what I'm saying. They're, the roles here were a little bit reversed in normal. These two are usually a tandem. Um, so I, I, was, I was actually happy to see that. Luke, before I read these final quick two DMs, we didn't mention the final scene as we go to credits. Like, so it looks like Ito, who survived, and again, spoiler alerts beyond belief, but you're already this far. Ito survives just a hellacious battle with not only Ari and his buddy, but but the the firing school, you know, the, the, all the bad guys, and he escapes. He reunites with the little girl. I'm, I can't even believe Ito's alive. They have the passports that the the good chick. I'm sorry that we're brutally not even saying her real name or her character's name. Um, and it looks like they're ready to walk off into the sunset. Only the, the real bad, bad guy is still there with another firing squad. And the movie ends with Ito driving the car straight on into them. And maniacally sort of like going out, guns blazing. Luke, I, it didn't do it for me because like he risked his life. He changed the history of his life, his reputation, almost in like a spiritual sense of like, could I avoid hell by realizing that what I'm doing as part of the six C's, mm -mm. you know, squad is wrong. I'm going to protect a little girl and change who I am. Isn't he just leaving? Like he can't win that. You can't drive into 12 people with guns shooting at you. So he's going to get killed there. Luke, what yeah. about the girl? No, no, no. I actually feel like you're getting this one wrong. I don't know. Your other criticisms I think are pretty well placed, but this one, I don't agree. And here's why. If you recall, several times in the movie, they kept pointing out that she is better off without him. They say it over and over and over again, and he acknowledges it. Plus, remember, he's a bad guy turned good, but he still has all that bad to atone for. Both characters had to die, uh, Arian and Ito. Both characters did not deserve to live. 
they deserve to do something good for somebody else and to okay. and to and to right that wrong, but they didn't deserve to continue. And I think that's what the movie tried to show. Maybe maybe this is like the the good side of BC. You know, the heartfelt side is like I would have liked to see that little girl on the motorcycle with the badass good chick and just drive away into the sunset with the passports. So I can believe, Luke, that she'll at least have a mother figure in her life to be raised to somehow offset all the absurd violence she saw in the last 24 hours of her life, including watching her entire family get shot to death on the beach. All right, Luke, uh, Ryan Kim slides in and says, do you think all parts of Sila, I think that's how you say it, which is the Indonesian martial art showcased in this movie, could be applied in real MMA competition against other striking specialists or on the streets defending yourself against Joe Schilling. This is him, not me. He says, I feel like the guy who played Arian has become the new Tony Ja, but yeah. didn't think Muay Thai necessarily became the new Kung Fu or Karate. With this movie being another film that showcases the Indonesian martial artist um, alongside Marantau, The Raid, and The Raid 2, do you think Salat, and I'm probably butchering this, is a pragmatic martial art like BJJ or Krav Maga? Uh, I don't know enough about it to have an intelligent comment, but I do think it's worth pointing out, BC, that like you watch a movie like this, and someone could be like, oh, it's obviously an martial arts movie based on the way they're fighting, but based on the way they're they, guns and bombs and grenades and everything else, and then that scene where the guy escapes from the back of the van where all the, the tasers are, you know? Uh, I mean, that's just action movie times a thousand. So, like, the, the genre has blended. To what extent Salat is part of that, I, I don't know. I can't speak intelligently about it. Ryan Kim also says he's an avid ESPN Sports Center denier, so MK has become easily his favorite sports show. And the fact that we are doing this movie to break down is another reason. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Ryan Kim. And to close, Luke, from T to Womi, if BC's liver were to take human form... Would it look exactly like Bobby from this movie, Luke? Dude, our livers, our livers are Ito versus Arian every time we do room service diaries. Yeah. Luke, seriously, how great was the character Bobby, who was just a next-level awesome. yeah. psychopath? Just, I mean... Dude, guys who yeah. know they're going to die, and then they're just like kamikaze, fuck it, you know? And they can make that. And again, these guys in this movie are just absurdly durable, durable in ways that the human body, of course, is not. But his spirit, his fuck you attitude the whole time. I And they called him, who's this white motherfucker? He's like, I'm white boy, Bobby, bitch. I was like, yeah, get him, get him. It was awesome. I mean, when he when he was fighting the, the chick with the blonde hair and she knifed him to the gut and then he purposely moved his body over the rest of the blade, like to be like, this is not going to stop me. Only to then gratuitously die, Luke. That was mm -hmm. uh, that was a turning point for me. He died. All right, he, died Luke, he died with dignity. Hopefully, we can do another homework soon enough, Luke. Whether it's music, movies, comedy, food, whatever, I don't care. Great episode, Luke. You know we do make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Um, please, folks, follow us, like us, subscribe, because we give you things that your other favorite people they don't know how to do. They won't do it. Okay. They can't. And if you do like. It. If you like our Ridiculi, that's great. But we're going to be buttoned up next week. UFC 264 on the road in Las Vegas. We'll have our CBS Sports people there. We'll have a desk doing some live HQ, doing live morning combat shows, some interview specials if we can hook it up. We're going to have members of our Showtime team and Malka with us as well. So it's going to be a big deal. Please get excited for all of our content next week. We will have a show Monday, July 5th. So while you're celebrating at home, you can turn it on to get fired up 
for Connor Dustin three. Luke, do you have anything to say as we close out here? No, I think it's time to go. We've been on the air way too long. Okay. Luke, I think we gave him like six and a half hours this week of live MK. And that's not even counting your live chat. I'm glad you don't count that, BC. Thank you. <laughs> Does it do more traffic than our regular shows, Luke? It's uh, not, not quite, but it's more or less on par. Because if it does, you should just consider going solo now. No, I don't want to do that. I, I like this partnership. It's good for me, and it's good for us. All right. I'm sure Luke has to shit, so that's all we got this week. For our great staff, Gaffney Pierre on the ones and twos there. For LT, Showtime, CBS, Malka, BC, coming at you here. It's been great. It's been a wild ride, and we'll be back on Monday. Love you all, as Luke has brazenly said a few times. May all your lo- ex-lovers. Hey, can you, bo- can you watch that there. more, fuckface? Stay satisfied. Merch 2.0 is out, and so are we. Peace. Peace.